The following podcast is brought to you by long-term sponsor Atlas VPN. Support Moore's Law is dead by supporting this sponsor at the link in the description and make sure you use offer code Moore's Law. And it is also brought to you by Bite Ramen and their high-protein, delicious ramen products. You can find links in the description and the proper offer codes for all of these sponsors, and we'll talk about them later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I have the uh, the good fortune of being joined by yet another guest who hasn't been on this show before, but it's certainly one that a lot of my fans heard about. Actually, you might find this funny. Uh, I have the Moore's Law said Discord for patrons, and um, when I posted that you would be coming on, the reaction to my post was just the a yes emoji in all caps over and over and over. And there are like a dozen people that like upvoted that emoji, the yes emoji. So, you know, a lot of my fans know who you are, but you haven't been on before. Why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Thanks, Tom. And uh, thanks to the viewers who really wanted us to come on the show. <laughs> you guys are the winners. And so who I am is a guy who just started from being a tech enthusiast and doing a lot of different things up until YouTube. And one of those things before I started a YouTube channel was just flipping car parts, used car parts, ironically, in Japan. And now I'm in Japan. I've got an affinity to both Australia and Japan. I love both countries. And then from there, I made a just a mouse video because I loved RTS. And so I, I was really big in StarCraft, StarCraft 2, and I wanted a really nice fingertip gripping mouse and there was just no reviews on youtube no one was everyone was unboxing them no one was talking about okay is this just crap or is it good that's all i wanted to know is this, someone who plays the game and they're good at rts can they just give me an opinion if this is crap or not and there was none there was just no opinions out there so i just bought two of the mice there was the razor abyssus like the first generation which the abyssus now is a lot better but that first gen abyssus i didn't like it at all then there was the logitech g3 and the G3 was amazing. And actually, I found out a lot of Korean pros used that after I started um, checking it out. And so from there, I, I got views. People were like, make more videos. And from there, we just, I guess it just came to be Tech Yes City. And <laughs> here we are now where I got into use uh, price performance and started flipping PC parts because they were so cheap. And I could make money on it and just show people in the process, hey, like the used stuff can be the best value you can ever get. You just can't mm -hmm. compete with it, especially since the used stuff now is more relevant than it's ever been because these gains that we see aren't actually that big. Uh, if you compare that to, say, pre-2000 enthusiast okay, tech, sure. your CPUs especially, they were just making gains. Like if you had a PC that was two years old back in 1998, that PC was obsolete. By 2000, no one wanted that thing. The you went from 166 megahertz to say 600 megahertz in two years, like it was incredible, crazy. Then you got IPC gains on top of that, so you can imagine the performance gains that you used to get as a tech enthusiast back in the day. And yeah. now it's sort of like, oh, sorry, 
You go. No, I was going to say, if you look at like old reviews around 2000, like a new graphics card or CPU comes out and you'll see parts of the review where they're like, yeah, I mean, you can play the latest games on low settings and these, this is a CPU from two years prior. And they're like, but this is expected, you know, in two years you play games on low instead of high settings. And now people are like, almost mad if they have to turn down settings after two years of getting something it's it's the first question i was going to ask you is i I noticed your youtube channel as far as i can tell is about 10 years old um what what's the biggest difference between now and a decade ago because you're already hitting on it oh yeah wow things have changed definitely things have changed but in terms of enthusiast tech on youtube you used to be able to call out people a lot more. You used to be able to engage a lot more with other YouTubers without the fear of being demonetized or having some action taken against you. So you got to be very careful with that now. But I personally am a bit of a fan of that, like calling out other people and giving people the best information. Because at the end of the day, this is all about the viewer. This is all mm-hmm. about giving the viewer the best information, right? For me, my viewers are everything. They put me in a great position where... I would never be. I, I get you definitely say the same thing about your viewers, right? They give you such an awesome job that you love doing and you're passionate about. But part of that passion, I feel, is always giving them the best information. So why not have two different opinions that collide and let it happen? As long as there's no like, you know, childish insults and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of things do devolve down to that level. But if there's none of that, then we, we should encourage that as a community. But now it's sort of like, I think that's the biggest difference I can see in the tech space on YouTube is now it's frowned upon to call out other YouTubers. It's like bad taste or, it, it yeah. So that's sort of well, the biggest difference. Yeah, it's like you're walking on eggshells. And I wonder how much of that is just like the Twitterization of the internet where everything, I had to deal with, you know, I won't name names, but I had to deal with this before where I was like, I added a YouTube channel and I was like, oh, you seem to have the same information that I put out about a month ago. That's awesome. And they just took it as an attack because I added them in the first place. And I realized like, and then like in some circles, like if you put a smiley face on Twitter, people take it as being disingenuous. And I'm like, no, I was smiling. I was like, happy. That's why I put a smiley face. And there's this weird thing where even mentioning other channels now turns into walking on eggshells compared to before where it's like, we can disagree, even argue, but that doesn't mean I hate this person. And now it just turns into this snowballing thing sometimes where people want to make it that that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And definitely people take things the wrong way. They misconstrue what you say. And it's, yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on. But I, I think as long as the overlord penalties aren't there, I would actually engage in it a lot more. It's just mm-hmm. that fear of, you know, my whole channel being demonetized or something. I just don't bother engaging in it. So, yeah, I just stick to what my viewers love and I keep doing that. I stay in my own my own world. And as long as we're still giving out all the relevant information, then, yeah, we keep going with that. And especially, I think, going forward, there's going to be a lot more relevant information coming out because I'll be heading back to Australia, doing a lot of dumpster diving, all the good stuff. Because apparently 8th Gen, from what my friends tell me in Australia, mm-hmm. 8th Gen Intel's coming through, like from the clear out of businesses, a lot mm-hmm. of 8th Gen. So that's your 6-core, 12-thread, 8700s. They're in mass supply on the on the used side coming through. So that's going to be very interesting to see what I can do with PC flips on that side of things. 
because I think the 8700 is still going to be for the majority of people an absolutely fine CPU. And well, 99.9% actually. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I, you know, this actually brings me to something that I was going to uh, bring up later. Um, but I think, let me, let me do it now because yeah. you, you bring up last gen CPUs, presumably for like ultra budget gaming rigs, you know? And I think I would agree with you. An 8700K is, I mean, look, you know, I was looking at Zen 4 benchmarks uh, recently and I noticed that the 7600X, as much as competitively, I think it should maybe be a little cheaper compared to Intel, it has multi-threading performance fairly comparable to the Zen 2 3900X. So already in a few generations, we have a six core that in multi-threading is competing with the, you know, unconceivable 12 core when that came out Mm -hmm. and it's like things have gotten so much better that there seems to be this thing in the um pc gaming hardware space right now where people are like mad about there not being a lot of budget options but i feel like we've crushed gaming performance on pcs a long time ago and if you can get an 8700k for 50 bucks like it's like i i know there's not a 50 dollars zen for but you can get an 8700k for 50 dollars now and it's going to humiliate yeah. most games you know if, wouldn't if you, you agree if you know yeah if you know the right locations and you're in say for instance like me if you know the guys at the dumpsters you can get some extremely good performance but i think a lot of people were complaining over the last couple of years mainly the crypto boom that really just priced gpus out it was a proponent on the back of inflation it really messed the market up and drove people through a roller coaster, which I'm pretty sure it turned a lot of people to console. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. who are PC gaming enthusiasts would have just said, I've had enough of this. It's too long. I want to get a, whatever from my my kids or want to get them into gaming. They like gaming. And the prices of PC parts are just ridiculous. And that phase went through the last two years. And, and sort of now we're only coming back now to realistic pricing on everything but the problem is is this is what i've said we're in the golden age of pc gaming right now this is what i'm saying because the inflation proponent's still there and that's still Mm -hmm. lingering and that's hitting these companies and their underlying profit margins if you look at nvidia right let's look at the gtx 1630 total garbage (laughs) sales are total garbage too that shows you that the market isn't as dumb as people think. I, I see it all the time. Like this, mm. NVIDIA, NVIDIA can just price graphics cards to whatever they like. No, look at the GTX 1630. It is not like if I pull up any sales list, it is right down the bottom. No one's mm. buying this card for gaming. Maybe the unsuspecting person who doesn't know how to use Google search. <laughs> Maybe. But, but it shows you that the market is getting smart and it reacts, especially as the monetary conditions are tightening now. So I think for me, going back to use though, I'm going to be providing much more price performance options than I ever have. And the biggest reason for that too is another reason is that gaming itself has become so easy now. Like you look at the top 10 Steam games, still like GTA 5, uh, Apex Legends, CSGO, Dota 2. These are games that are, what, five, some of them, I think Dota 2 is 10 years old now. So these are games that are easy to run. And if you use uh, price performance as the right price, why bother even getting you? Or why bother getting AM5? Or why bother getting Rabbit mm. Lake? Why not just get, say, a 5500? And that's why I think when people came to me and said the 5500, the Ryzen 5 5500 was bad, it was trash. I was like, have you actually just bought this CPU 
tried <laughs> coupling it with, say, an RX 6600 and playing games on it because it was amazing. It was really good. Like, I can get high FPS. I can put it on high settings, get a smooth experience. This is going to be great for the majority of people out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where my opinions differ in that I, I look at, okay, what are the most popular games? What is the price performance of this and how is it going to relate to the people realistically? And see, if you, if you want to go out and get a 4K OLED as well, you want to go out and get a 4090, you go out and get the latest 13600K or 13900K, go do it. Like, no one's stopping you. Price is there. You're going to have to pay for it. Are you going to get the price performance of used? Absolutely not. Are you going to get price performance of the entry-level products? A lot of the times, no. But it's there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess, like, I've been sort of come to see all angles of tech the more I get into it. And it's an exciting, I, I guess I bring a very different opinion to the whole market. One that, mm-hmm. yeah, one that I guess it's good, right? All, more, the more opinions you have in this, the more people can make an informed decision and say, hey, did I make a bad decision? No. And as long as people aren't having buyer's remorse, then we're all good. But I would say some of the biggest buyer's remorse I saw this year would have been when people got told to go buy a GPU literally two months before the 4090 yeah. came out. That was some of the worst advice I'd seen. And I made yeah. a dedicated video on that. But this is one thing I said to the viewers, rest assured with what's going on in the world right now in terms of, uh, especially in terms of monetary conditions. Mm-hmm. You can be rest assured these companies are going to have to bring innovation. If they don't, they're going to basically be competing with themselves. The used market's right on their doorstep too, forcing mm-hmm. them to innovate. So it's great news from all three companies. They're all going to have to innovate or they're going to drop off. So, Well, so Dino999 writes in and he says, Hello, Tom and Brian. My question is for Brian. As a tech tuber puts a lot of effort into the budget-minded consumer, and thank you for doing that, what are your thoughts on the seeming mass exodus and departure from companies in the budget space? In fairness, Intel does still have Alder Lake i3s that compete with an 8700K, but AMD seems to be refusing to release budget CPUs, and the pricing of the 7600X at $300, at least it aggravates me. I know some people can still go AM4 or LGA 1700 and buy used Alder Lake or something, but it's just getting under my skin that there aren't new budget CPUs every generation. Same with NVIDIA. I mean, the 1630 is terrible. Thankfully, the GPU market is flooded, though, and who knows who would be dealing with if it wasn't. So I I think this is just, I wanted to get this reader mail in here because it directly touches on what we're talking about. What are your, uh, I think I've kind of already asked, but yeah, like what are your thoughts on these companies kind of leaving the budget market? Well, they have to. That's the sad thing because inflation is much higher. And I've been saying this on my channel. Inflation's much higher than those reported CPI numbers, right? When you're mm-hmm. looking at the total direct and indirect expenses for these companies to get that product to the retailer, sell it, make a profit, make it worth their time, mm-hmm. the lower end products are starting to make not a whole lot of sense. And that's mm-hmm. the sad reality. I was actually going to make a video on sort of saying to people, look, if you want to build a budget PC, now is going to be a great time, right? Because you may not see sub $200 RX 6600s in the future. Just They're giving away motherboards with Alder Lake i7s at Micro Center at the US right now. <laughs> like, And they're giving away RAM with even Zen 4, actually. So if you're not going for the absolute best, actually now is such a better time to build a budget build than a year ago. It's crazy. 
it's it's a great time. And I, I think recently people told me to check out the Ryzen 5 4500, come down to $79, I think, with a, with a CPU oh. cooler. With a CPU mm-hmm. cooler. I mean, I've got to check that out. I have to check that out and give my two cents on that one. And it goes back to the the whole, yeah, what we're living through right now is something that we've never lived through before or since post-1990. So we don't know, man. Like a lot of us... A lot of us guys just don't know what we're going, what we're in for. I'm just predicting a roller coaster, and that's what I've predicted. And you got to react accordingly. So when something's cheap, buy it. And how do you know it's cheap? Look at the graphs. Look at the price. Look at what you're getting. Price versus value. Always look at that. And so a lot of these companies doing the exodus from the budget parts. Yeah, a big proponent of that is inflation being much higher than what's stated. But another proponent of that is people. That forces them to keep those higher margins and run to the higher end products, right? You've seen that with NVIDIA running to the RTX 4090. You've seen AMDs now focusing on a $1,000 graphics card, focusing on AM5, expensive motherboards. They're running to these uh, more expensive products to try and maintain those higher margins. But again, they're doing so. NVIDIA is actually very interesting because look at the performance gains they had to provide Mm -hmm. to justify that price, right? If they look, do you think the 4090 would have sold as well as it did if it was a 50% gain? Exactly. Yeah. It, would have, it would have been on the shelves, man. It would have been sitting there on the shelves. People would have been like, why would I spend $1,600 on this? When, but they gave a massive increase in performance. It was huge. And so it, just, like, it was innovation, right? That's what tech enthusiasts want to see. So that was NVIDIA's only way out was to release what I think was actually taped out to be an RTX 5080 as a 4090. That's what I think. If I look at their business strategy. So yeah, there's so much in that because it's like, what is a card really? Because I I think you could almost accuse me of like making arguments on both sides, but it's so easy for me too, because people can on the one hand will go, well, this should be that. But on the other hand, I'll go, you guys do know that like the GTX 1080 launched for $700 and used the 104 die and the 104 die is about the size of kind of the 104 die that they were going to use for the 4080 12 gigabyte. And and actually the uh the 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 GTX 680 was the same like exact same die size as the 4080 12 gigabyte. So it's like we've seen Nvidia do this before. You know, they price whatever they can wherever they want to. It's if you compare it to Ampere, maybe it should be a 4080. If you compare it to their previous three generations though, they've kind of been doing this all the time. Um and they just price and name things what they think they can get away with. That's all yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Well, the, as well, now that the easy, easy, cheap money stopped, they're going to have to now get more competitive. Mm-hmm. So that's what people need to understand. If the 4080 comes out and it's not that impressive, it's not going to sell that well. Again, it's $1,200. People just don't have $1,200 to just throw away like willy nilly. Mm-hmm. They've got to be careful with their money. And so it was the same with AMD. So, People, at the end of the day, will always vote with their wallets, especially when it comes to enthusiast tech products. So the exodus from budget products as well, there'll be a focus coming back to it when there's margins to be made or when there's value to be created there, whether you have to streamline the retail channels. So maybe that starts to put more of a focus on AliExpress, for instance, where Mm -hmm. you've seen the rise of AliExpress. It's, It's actually getting more and more popular because it cuts out a lot of the middlemen. Like I saw that with the snowman cooler years ago 
you just couldn't get a CPU cooler that good, that cheap. That was the start of a trend. Now, if you look at mm-hmm. CPU prices, Ryzen 5 5600, you cannot get that as cheap in America as you can off AliExpress delivered to your door. So that's the, that's the trend already taking effect. Now, a lot of people still don't want to buy off AliExpress. Uh, they don't trust the platform. Uh, it's understandable. Like mm-hmm. it, it takes a while for that, as well as AliExpress's customer service, especially their decision-making is known to be tedious. I was actually going to make a video on that and tell people, hey, look, if you, wanna, if you come into problems in AliExpress, you have to be extremely thorough. It's not eBay. Mm-hmm. Like you have to show the problem real time. Or Amazon where they'll just like give yeah. you your money back like yeah. it's almost unbelievable how easy they will to be honest yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> amazon and ebay is like oh guys I, I actually ended up scratching the cpu on my uh, head and the pins bent on the rise and i want a refund <laughs> yeah yeah just send it back guy we'll give you a refund it's like <laughs> no it's, it doesn't work that way on aliexpress but you can get a refund and it, it is a it is an honest system but they do want you to do your due diligence and show the products faulty or whatnot so i i thought that was interesting but of course but when you look at the the channel there and you look at, okay, they're cutting out all these uh, middlemen. This is the price differential now that you're saving. And that's starting to become more apparent the higher this inflation goes. So that's actually an interesting uh, thing that I've been observing and, and taking note of in the back of my mind. I haven't been jotting down any Excel uh, spreadsheets or anything like mm. that, but I've just been noticing those trends in the back of my head. And uh, AliExpress is actually becoming very competitive. And you're, looking, you're going to see this with um, M.2 drives as well, one terabytes. Mm. Uh, you can get them. I can currently source uh, NVMe 1.3, uh, 1.4 drives, one terabyte NVMe's for SLC cash as well for about $39 a pop. Mm-hmm. So that's cheap. That's dirt cheap. So I know, and like... It depends on what you're looking for exactly. And it does fluctuate a little bit, but like power supplies, the power supply quality we have now is so much better than a decade ago. It's hilarious to me. Like I remember my first, one of my first desktops I built, I had, um, God, what did I, I had an Ivy Bridge i5. Um, and then I believe it was a 600 watt 80 plus bronze like I they practically don't even make 80 plus bronze anymore. <laughs> this thing was like uh I don't it was like SLI ready just because it had two six pins, you know, and and it was I don't I think it was like $80. And like now you can get for like a hundred bucks or more, like one thousand watt, one thousand eighty plus golds or something. Like the the quality on some of the com- these components is so much higher despite inflation, despite so it's like it's like pick your poison, like. I miss the days where like a budget graphics card was $80 and you can just get an HD 6670 or something like that was incredible value back then. But at the same time, like you were plugging in a power supply that cost twice as much for half the quality. Motherboards were lower quality. They were a pain. Like their BIOSes look like they were from the 80s. Like, like, and uh, some things are worse, but some things are better. The market has become more premium, but it, but it's, it's not all bad. It is yeah. really has not all gotten worse. Power supplies have definitely benefited from economies of scale massively. So that's one reason why power supplies have gotten a lot better value is because economies of scale. Uh, same with, I guess, any tech in general, but the name on your shirt there is a reason why CPUs and GPUs have gotten a bit more expensive. The Moore's Law mm-hmm. thing isn't what it used to be. It, it might not be dead. I don't know if it, people argue Moore's Law isn't dead, 
but it's definitely different to what it was 20 years ago. So, Well, we were on 28 nanometer for like five years. I wasn't aware something could die and all of a sudden be alive again. It's like, mm. if we were actually doubling performance during those five years, we're way behind, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, look like at we're Intel. getting more transistor. Yeah, I mean, look at Intel. So, <laughs> and actually, here's, I'm wondering, let me let me bring this up. This is a, a theory, a point I have that I haven't, uh, that I'd like to bring up to you is, the budget builds got the cheapest when Moore's Law died. During the 28 nanometer is when things got cheap, guys. And now that Moore's Law is alive again, it's now expensive again because they're paying $100 billion to build a new foundry. Like, I, I don't know. It's the reason things got cheap during the PC gaming renaissance. We have to accept it's because performance didn't move much. And so these companies had to make stuff cheaper. Exactly, man. So the used the used market was something a lot of these companies didn't anticipate for. Uh, that's something that was never really existent, right? You never had used products competing with the new stuff. Now you do. It's just always there. People are always looking for a deal. And if the performance isn't justifying the prices of the new stuff, go to the used market, see what bargain you can get. So, I mean, crypto is really throwing a spanner in the whole works here. It's it's a complete mess. Like it's messed up the tech enthusiast plans, I think, and the the schedule or the season of PC gaming. Crypto is definitely with the with the mine people, you know, buying the GPUs for mining rather than the gamers getting them. That's definitely throwing a spanner in the works. But again, that that sort of led me down that tangent of finance and the cheap money and and looking at central banks and governments as the actual problem mm-hmm. and not the crypto miner themselves. I mean, a crypto miner gets a lot of the blame, but they're just partaking in arbitrage. That's what I come to understand. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, how many reviews for NVIDIA graphics cards now? Half of it's about how good it is at rendering and editing. And when a new Threadripper family comes out, they're like showing it, what is it, like render, uh, what, uh, Terminator movies and stuff. It's like all of these components now, I mean, we're talking about 60 to like 90 to a, or 100 teraflop things. And it's like, you're asking, what resolution can I run a game at? I do think we have to accept that these are like really useful for non-gaming tasks. And they're always going to be moving forward. I mean, you're talking about cutting edge tech. And it's like, can I run this at 4K instead of 1440p? And there's other people like, can I solve cure cancer? So <laughs> they're going to pay for these products, guys. And that's where some of the price increases come from as well. But for the newer products, the used products are cheaper relative than the newer gens than I think they've ever been. So it again, there's good and there's bad. Yeah. Um, but, but I do miss, I will say one thing back to that question you got. I do miss the days of the G4560, that little budget CPU sure. that came in. That was really fun. They were fun days because you just had so many different options too. So I, I do miss those sub $100 CPUs that are still relevant for gaming at the time. So hopefully, yeah, like I said, I'll check out the 4500 and see how that goes and see if that's sort of like a great little budget option. But I think a lot of people as well, there's been a lot of, if you look at the Steam surveys as well, six cores, 12 threads and eight cores, 16 threads, they're the mm-hmm. new dominant sort of species in terms of what people are looking for. And those numbers are so powerful as well because they show a lot of different countries in the world, right? It's not just US, Australia, it's it's Philippines or Malaysia or Mm -hmm. India. All these countries, all these people have steam in these countries. 
That's very important when you see those trends of six cores and 12 threads coming through or eight cores, 16 threads coming through. That's such a powerful trend because it's still measuring all the lower GDP per capita countries as well Mm -hmm. and the incomes of those people and they're going for six cores, 12 threads. So there's a bit of a, there's another, I guess, another reason why they've shifted focus from four cores, eight threads and two cores, especially two cores, four threads, that's gone. Oh, yeah. You won't be seeing any focus on that. But There's some games just won't even start now to yeah. try to run that. So four cores, eight threads is your new base minimum. So, mm-hmm. But after that, six cores, 12 threads is what a lot of people would be aiming for even on the budget end. So, yeah. All right. So speaking of competing with last-gen performance, though, I know that you have an RTX 4080. Uh, and this podcast will actually come out right around the embargo. So I, I don't expect you to like put any numbers on screen, but I, I am curious if you're willing to talk about roughly what you're seeing out of the 4080s performance. So yeah, under NDA, you can't talk. I can't say, okay, it's this percent faster. It's that mm-hmm. percent faster. But what I can say is look at the spec sheet, look at the shade account, and it's roughly going to line up where you think it will versus mm-hmm. the 4090. And then from there, you can extrapolate the numbers and say, okay, it's going to be X amount faster than a 3090, 3090 mm-hmm. Ti. So is it, yeah, I mean, again, I'll save my opinions and from recommendations for the review, but th- I will say I, I liked the 4090 a lot better than the 4080. Mm-hmm. So that's coming out from someone who loves used stuff and looks for value there or someone who likes innovation both sides. Yeah, I, I think the 4080 is going to push people towards buying a 4090. That's <laughs> what I think. That's my opinion on that. So, well, you know, it's funny. Um, NVIDIA put out uh, th- like a, a handful of benchmarks and like real benchmarks, not like relative performance, not actually saying what the frame rates were. They actually showed, you'll remember, this was probably like three weeks ago. It was like 4090. 4080 16 gig, 4080 12 gig, like it was like a Plague's Tale F1 and a couple other games. And they showed the non DLSS performance, and I averaged it. And I'm like, so yeah, the 4080 16 gig is like 15% better than a 3090 Ti. The 4080 12 gig seems to be losing to a 3090 Ti. And if anything, might actually be closer to a 3080 Ti, might even lose to a 3090 in a lot of games. And just Two days later, after all the reactions to that, NVIDIA canceled the four, or I'm sorry, unlaunched the 4080 12 gigabyte. And I think there's mm-hmm. a reason for that, right? Yeah, I mean, the 4080 12 gig, that's where I called them out on. I was disappointed in that. And again, that was a, a lot of the other stuff, like the 4090, 4080, wait till we see what the performance is like. The 16 gig, sorry, but the 4080 12 gig was just, yeah, any enthusiast, it was, it was a punch in the mouth a little bit. Like, NVIDIA, what are you doing? Like, call this thing a 4070 or a 47. Mm-hmm. Don't give it the 48. Don't give it the 80 um, naming because it's not, a, it's not an 80 series card. And yeah, I, I think they saw the overwhelming unanimous opinions in the tech space where everyone agreed that this was a bad call. And then they, they decided to do the right thing and unlaunch it or at least make it cheaper and rebrand it. So mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was um that was one that I was really disappointed with and from Nvidia and I'm glad they they fixed it. But again, the, again, it goes back to like what people say, like the, the people who are skept- really heavy skeptics of Nvidia, it's like, well, they would have tried to get away with it, right? They would have tried to get away with it. 
And it's like, yeah, any company's going to try and make as much money as possible. That's like business 101, right? Maximize profits, minimize costs. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing with that one is I think a lot of people think um, that the reason they canceled it is is it like it's like it's not like all altruism. I from what I'm hearing, Nvidia didn't even want to launch the 8104 die. Like they're like, dude, we have so much Ampere to sell off. We we should only be launching things that easily beat Ampere performance so that we can price them above all of the Ampere cards still on the market. And they're like, well, we have all these 8104 dies we've made already. <laughs> like I guess let's just try to call it the 4080. And then they saw, well, uh, well maybe if we put DLSS three and like try to market that people will think it's stronger than last gen. And everyone said, no, nah, we don't think it is. And Nvidia said, well, good. We didn't want to sell it in the first place. So that's what I honestly think is going on is they realized they they don't want to sell anything that competes with Ampere performance. And so if they're not going to get away with calling it way stronger because of DLSS three, then it's not worth launching until they clear out at least half of their Ampere stock. I mean, from a business point, the 4090 was their only way out. And to be to, to their credit, they pulled it off brilliantly. Like, yeah, that's why you see Jensen in the street performance. He's having a great time, right? He, he pulled off the one option for all this crypto mess that he could. That was the only way out uh, was the 4090 to keep their sales and their profits up. They had to release a massive card. And then you look at the 4812 gig. I think, I don't know what they're waiting for there. It remains to be seen, right? The... The extent of how many of these GPUs is out there still is anyone's guess, but I know for sure there is so many used Ampere cards out there still, and they're going to make their way back. Like with these FTX crypto busts and all that, a lot of people that were sort of hoping for a rebound in crypto that are still holding on to those GPUs are probably like, "Nah, I'm getting rid of these things too. Now I'm done. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this is the end. This is the end." And Maybe there'll be some still naysayers there, but then there'll be another crypto exchange go bust and another one go bust. And it, it will just keep the markets going to keep getting flooded with MP, MP cards because there were so many bought up for mining. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with RX 6000 series. It's, it's like you have to bring out a card that's in a whole new league. If it's not, you're not going to get the sales this time around because people are just going to be looking at those used cards, which are going to keep coming down in price. And you're like, whoa, okay, that's a great buy. For instance, one of my friends just told me he picked up a 3080 for, I think it was like $340, just changed mm-hmm. the paste. Bang. That, like, what kind of value is uh, Lovelace or RDNA3 going to provide that beats $340? For, you can't. You just can't compete with that price performance. So that exists. That's in the market. So how else do you exist? Total performance. And so, yeah, the 4812 gig is a real... In my eyes, it was uh, it's a difficult card, and, and I think they have to wait it out. They have to sort of position that one. I think they have to get, let DLSS three at least mature mm-hmm. and have it so it's really good and really polished, and that will help the forty or the forty seventy Ti or forty seventy whatever they're going to call it. That'll help with sales on that if DLSS three is good. But again, they have to offer some competitive advantage there, otherwise it's just not going to sell. And um, it's a bad thing for brand image and whatnot, right? If you've got cards that are just sitting on the shelves and no one's buying them, like look at AM5. Mm-hmm. That ain't a great image that AMD wants to keep up, right? Yeah, well, I'll get to that in a second. I, I think, but what, what I would say about um, 
like Lovelace and all this is is when people are complaining about the prices of the 4080, it's like, well, then, you know, then then don't buy it. Get a 6900 XT for $500. Like that is a legitimate option. I know it's not the newest generation, but I, I'm curious, you know, you, you again, we can't get into the specifics, I suppose, but you've tested the 4080 some. Although this fall has been insanely busy for most members of the Moore's Law's Dead team, there's one team member who's been allowed to take it quite easy recently. And, well, unless you're Reesey, unless you're just a dog chilling on a fall afternoon, you could probably benefit from as little wasted time as possible. And you should probably then try Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a delicious American-crafted source of protein and nutrients that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. This includes their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice while cooking, and their new Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break. Whether you're back in the office now or still just working from home, Vite Ramen, you'll never be too busy to eat. And if you click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSIL, Silicon, you can save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles for Moore's Law said fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and the Vite Go packages as well, and other cooking utensils and products. Whatever you'd prefer, using these offer codes really helps support Moore's Law is dead tremendously, and it gets you a good deal on a healthy, fast-to-make, and tasty, reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is dead. Try Vite Ramen today. I want to throw in this question here from Gwen Fair, and he says, Howdy, Tom and Brian. Given AMD slash Radeon are really coming in hot with a massive pricing delta between them and NVIDIA this generation, what tricks do you think NVIDIA will pull to push out their inventory and retain market share, especially with the 30 series? Will they just keep making price cuts and start heavily subsidizing retailers like AMD has been doing every now and then, like giving away DDR5 with uh, AM5 motherboards in the US? Or will they pride the or probably get the best of them and will they lose huge chunks of market share to AMD? Personally, I feel AMD has ripe to mop the floor with NVIDIA and make big strides in regards to their bad reputation for buggy drivers and inconsistency, but I don't know. Only time will tell. So, and, and this is just kind of leading into, do you think NVIDIA like needs to do price drops on the 4080 in preparation for RDNA 3's release or not? 4080 12 gig, I think they're going to wait for the release. Like, I'm waiting for the release of the RT, uh, XTX, the 7900 XTX. I need to see the performance myself. Like, mm-hmm. I really do. I just, I got the, one thing about, like, me is, I guess one thing that I, I love the BS radar, right? I bring that to the table. For some reason, I just sniffed a lot of BS in AMD 7900 XTX presentation, right? So one thing I, I looked at, I was like, okay, so you're comparing your card to a 4090 in terms of power connectors, power consumption, fitting in different cases, but you're not comparing it to performance. Mm-hmm. You conveniently leave that part out. What kind of, like, that's, you know, back when we were growing up as kids, that's a coward move. Why do the coward move? If you've got a product that even comes within 20% of a 4090 and it's $600 cheaper, why not just show that? Why not say, even if it's vague numbers. Yeah, that's what they did with RDNA 2, to be fair, as well. They, were, they happily compared the 6900 XT to the 3090. And it was great. RDNA 2 was amazing. It was great. I was really take. I was blown back in my chair. I was like, whoa, AMD's making strides here. AMD's really coming into the market hard. They're back in the game. But then this time around, I got that vibe of, yeah, we, we're, giving you, we're giving you a boost, 1.5x to 1.7x. Just believe our numbers. And it was like three games for rasterization of 4K. I was like, 
if I was going to pre-order this especially, I'd be held off now. I mean, right, I'm waiting for performance now because there's a chance for, in my eyes that it could be 1.3 overall across the board. That's what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm getting Over this vibe. Because I have to be honest. 6950XT. Well, I, I, I'll just say that I definitely don't think that's what's going to happen, though. If it's 1.3, and, and I think we talked before this, is that because you're assuming it's going to be the difference to what the 4090 was to what NVIDIA's 2 to 4X numbers were, that it could be a similar No, it's just the, the, the presentation was just, yeah, I got this vibe of they didn't really want to just, if they had that option, right, if they had the much better value product, they would have been happily showing that and telling people, look, get this card over the NVIDIA cards, right? That's their ultimate goal is to take a sale away from NVIDIA and convert it to AMD. But they're all secretive about it. They're very secretive about the performance. And then focusing on things that I just thought were not really that relevant, especially the DisplayPort. For me, DisplayPort 2.1 is moot because you got HDMI 2.1. If you've got a really good monitor, HDMI 2.1 is going to do everything you want it to do. So I was just really like, okay, I'm just going to wait with this one. Really wait. I want to see when I put the card in the machine, how's it going to perform? Because you've got 20% more CUs there, right? 20% more cluster, uh, sorry, compute units. Yeah, but they're almost tripling teraflops. Yeah, and so I want to see how that works in real world, mm -hmm. right? So I really want to see when we put the games on, What's going to happen? I think the thing that like Scott Herkelman, who is like makes these decisions at Radeon and how the market things, I think what he was deciding is which NVIDIA product will be the easiest to dunk on. Because the fact of the matter is this card that they're launching right now, the, the, these two cards based on Navi 31, use 5 nanometer and 6 nanometer. So these are using inferior nodes and less silicon than uh, what 8102 is. And so if I was, I'm pretty sure what Scott's thinking here is why would we compare ourselves to something that costs 50% more to make, uses 50% more energy and costs 60% more? Because if it ends, I think what he's thinking is, you know, all too often in the past, we've compared ourselves to something we lose to slightly and the reviews come out and it's like AMD falls short. But if we compare ourselves to the 4080 and then we humiliate the 4080 and come close to a 4090, all the reviews will say cheaper than a 4080 or AMD's 4080 competitor is more of a 4090. And it's kind of this marketing mantra you see now that I've noticed where in the past, with like the HD 4000 series, AMD was happy to say we lose, but we're 10% weaker. I think there's this insistence now with modern companies where they're like, never say you're worse. Find a product of the competition to say you're better than and stick your flag down because you always want to be talking about how you're better than something and never that you're worse. Even if overall, it's probably better to get the worst product if it's you know, half the price. I think that's what I believe is going on with that marketing there. The only thing I would say is I do not think people should expect this to be a Zen four situation where they're like underestimating themselves early on because with Zen four, uh, they said greater than, greater than, greater than now they're saying up to. So what that means is they're saying, Hey, don't, don't expect us to be better than 70% on average. Mm. It's, it's tricky again with this one. I'll just really wait and see and more than I've ever been as opposed to the 4090. I got the vibes that that thing was going to be big when he, when he presented it before it came out, the the rumors, whatnot. I knew the 49 was going to be big. Now thing is with these XTX is if it comes out and it's just the same as the 4080, 
then that still leaves that massive performance gap with the 4090 over the 4080. It's just that card that people, NVIDIA is going to be pushing people for the, from the 4080 to the 4090. But the XTX, if it's in the same category as the 4080, if it doesn't beat it, if it's coming in the same league as the 4080, then it's still going to have that overshadowing NVIDIA you know, marketing advantage, right? Get the NVIDIA card. You've got DLSS2, you've got DLSS3 now. It's $200 more, but look at what extra you're getting. And then the community will say better driver set, this and that, better streaming capabilities with you know, better capture card compatibility, all this stuff that is out there and people are aware about. That $200 then doesn't seem like such a stretch for those people who are thinking about the XTX. And then suddenly they look at the performance on the numbers they're like, oh, well, the 4090, huh? Why as well just go blow another $400? Because you are in. One thing I don't want people to forget is you are in a price bracket now that is going well above and beyond. $1,000 plus is a price bracket where a lot of people do have the extra and they will stretch the margins and they will stretch the budget. Otherwise, they'd just be going for, say, an RTX 3060 or a 6700 XT. Some of my, like, 3060 Ti, 6700 XT, some of the best value cards right now especially on the mm -hmm. used market. So there's that, there is that section there that I think is the dead zone. I, I do think there's that dead zone that exists where it's like, just save the money or go balls to the walls. And so one thing I know about NVIDIA, especially starting marketing, man, these guys, they don't get enough credit for how genius they are at marketing too, for how they know how to push people up in the price bracket. They are like... I mean, they, they are geniuses at marketing NVIDIA. They know how they know what they're doing, man. They do know what they're doing. <laughs> and I think people I, I think AMD is catching up a bit and how good they are at marketing now. But I, I'd say NVIDIA has certainly looked smarter than, I mean, Intel's marketing. I don't even know what's going on half the uh, time. In, yeah, <laughs> Intel's the one of the group that really needs to, yeah, go back to the drawing board. And I mean, ARC well, is... They are with their marketing group. You've got that GPU in the are, background, so. man. That could be their downfall too. That <laughs> I don't want to open it. Still haven't tested it because I just don't want to... I, I just, I've just got to clear a day and like be ready for troubleshooting, you know? Mm. And so one thing about NVIDIA as well, when you look at them versus Intel and AMD specifically, they've still got a lot of the same blood that's existed in the company for decades. AMD and Intel are virtually different companies than when they were back when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh lots of different blood in the company now and so you still just got this nvidia is a very well oiled machine if you want to mm -hmm. take nvidia down then you better come up with something innovative something completely different than the standard okay we're just going to catch them on the benchmarks catch them on the price range you got to bring something completely different man whether it's partnering up with davinci studio giving your graphics card a massive advantage over the competitor or making something new like look at fsr for instance reactive to dlss look at xcss reactive where's the proactiveness in these companies seems like nvidia is the one being proactive more than the other two and so if you want to be that leader then start being proactive that's my sort of harsh critique to them stop trying to be like nvidia and be better than nvidia and that's um and yeah, I guess performance does tie back into that, but it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard hill for a Radeon group. It's a very hard hill for them to climb to beat Nvidia, as opposed well, to Intel's you know, CPU division, which is stagnated and 
drop the, you know, it's like the tortoise, like basically the way I sum it up with AMD versus Intel was is the tortoise and the hare and the hare stopped before the finish line. But with NVIDIA versus Radeon Group, it's the tortoise and the hare, except the hare don't slow down. He doesn't stop. He just keeps running laps, keeps running laps, and he doesn't slow down. And that's what NVIDIA is doing. It's a hard, you've got to become a hare yourself and start really just start smashing it and bringing it everything. It's hard to do that, right? It's extremely hard to do that. Well, let me throw this at you too, because I think what's clear, to, at least to me, like when I think about like the conversations I had with people at Radeon in like 2021, like they had their projections for RDNA 3 and they were planning to launch something between 300 to 375 watts that they were sure was going to bring an over 50% performance increase over RDNA 2 with better than that ray tracing. And it seems like, I, I, I think that is what they're going to do. They thought they were going to beat Lovelace too, but I think they thought NVIDIA was going to stop at 350 watts again. They didn't realize NVIDIA, because I had quotes like, unless NVIDIA were to push power consumption to insanity, I don't think they can beat this. And it's like, well, why are you so sure NVIDIA won't do what they need to to win? Like, because they always do anything they can. What we're looking at now is conversations I've had a, a couple months ago where People at Radeon talking, or at least not really at Radeon, but at AMD in general, just talking about how like they just think the high-end markets shot this holiday season because of the recession and that they were like really dragging their feet on like, should we even launch RDNA 3? And when you look at it coming out in December, I think it's pretty obvious AMD doesn't really want to go for the do anything besides what they have to. So I, I think there's definitely something going on here, though, where I think AMD was targeting a 50 to 100% performance increase over RDNA 2. They're going to be somewhere in that at first, but at the same time, they just think that it's not really worth going for the top yet. And what they have is something that's just a lot cheaper to make, though. But again, if it comes into that typical what we've been used to from RTX 2000, and then previous, some of those generations where you don't get that huge increase, you just get a, a sort of a taste of, yeah, the 30 to 40%. If you get that again, it's this time around, the money, again, the money's tightening up. People demand more. They just want, they demand more. So this time around, they have to put that massive increase on the table. And so if they're nervous about it, well, why would you be nervous? Look at the 4090 sales. <laughs> Even during a recession, NVIDIA is selling out of these things. The sale numbers of 4090s is incredible. I'm actually shocked the 4090 is selling as well as it is, like in terms of just the raw price, right? In a recession, it's well, selling incredibly well. I mean, uh, well, uh, the other thing too is when I've asked uh, I've talked to a couple of AIVs last week and they're like, it's not even unlocked for, it's, I would imagine it is this week when this is coming out. But as of about a week or two ago, like even like the day after the announcement, they said it's not even unlocked for full validation yet. So for me, I think there's something going on here where AMD isn't 100% sure what they're going to hit still. Like it could be plus minus 10%. Okay. And so they're like, oh, well, uh, let's just make sure we compare it to what we know will be. And we just only promise what we can because we're not even going to have final numbers until mid to late November. And then we're going to be scrambling to airship these things in in December. And then the real volume is probably going to hit right before Christmas. And so I think they're like, Let, let's let's promise what we know we'll do. Um, but I, I, I want to bring this up, though, because what I here's what I expect. I, I, I expect uh, the let me see. I wrote it down. 
I, I expect the 7900 XTX to be, I don't know, right? It's going to, there's going to be a couple games, I think, where it matches it. Now, honestly, it matches the 4090. Uh, but I think that on average, you're going to be looking at something 5 to 15%. It's a big range because let's just, mm. you know, we don't even have official numbers yet, but like it's going to be worse on average than the 4090. I don't think it's going to be a crazy amount worse in raster. In ray tracing, it's definitely going to be worse. There's no way around that. But with the ray tracing, I actually, I'm a little tepid to make big claims either way yet because the way they presented the numbers I found to be in some ways more actually more honest than NVIDIA. Because if you look at NVIDIA's ray tracing claims, they're like four times the performance if you have DLSS 3 on, if you're playing an, a marbles benchmark. Like this is complete yeah, bullshit. Th- talk. That was that was marketing 101 from NVIDIA. Yeah, the 4X gains was like, yeah, get your DLSS 2 mixed in with DLSS 3 and then, yeah, you've got these massive gains, right? Like, it was... yeah, And then, like, Portal with all RTX is like, it's like, okay, but this isn't, like, a real game, you guys, you know? So, uh, when it comes to the ray tracing, the ray tracing numbers, and I I did look at this, like, they're saying, in Metro Exodus, with ray tracing turned on, or Resident Evil Village, which Resident Evil Village actually wasn't a bad ray tracing showcase for RDNA 2 relative to NVIDIA's performance, they're like 50% better than the 6950 XT, even in a ray tracing game. So the way I look at ray tracing so far with RDNA 3 is they haven't told us what it can do theoretically outside of claiming it's around 50% better per compute unit, but there's more compute units. The, the way I kind of see it is ray tracing should somewhat be in line with the raster increase, but it's not going to be this thing where if you do an only ray tracing or an only path trace game like you can do with Lovelace, where you can get two to three X the performance because it's just, it's built to keep up with the raster, which is only 50 to 70% better. So with all of that in mind, all this rambling, what I'm trying to say is I expect the 7900 XT to lose to the 4090 in raster, but probably beat the 4080 by, I don't know, 20, 30% or something. But then in ray tracing, I'm just not sure yet because their numbers, uh, they haven't made the crazy claims that NVIDIA has. So I don't know how to read it except to say that I could see it losing a little bit to the 4080 or winning a little bit, but listen clarifyly what I'm saying. In ray-traced games, it's going to get destroyed by the 4090 in Quake RTX, is what I'm saying. But in actual games like Resident Evil 8, I don't know. I could see the uh, 7900 XTX actually being pretty close to the 4080, even in that with ray tracing turned on. Man, you're excited. You're you're very excited for these new numbers. I'm excited too. And so I'm I'm just the numbers they release. That's what. Resident Evil Village, ray tracing on 50% better. I just like, in the back of my mind, there's just something that tells me from reading it all, using the human calculator and sort of what I'm seeing with the messaging, the body language, I just think we're going to get something that comes close to a 4080 within 5%, maybe plus 10%, plus 5, 10%, sometimes matching it. And then ray tracing, I think the 4080 is going to beat it. And... It certainly will in some games, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but I've just the way AMD's talked about ray tracing is so much less braggadocious than NVIDIA that I can't tell if they're downplaying it because they just know they're gonna lose, mm-hmm. which they are gonna lose to the 4090 in ray tracing by a lot. So that's why they're downplaying it. Um, or if they just I, I or if they're just like not sure how to present it yet, right? Because this is clearly not what Lovelace is bringing to the table. Like their ray tracing is not as good, and they know it. So why focus on it? Well, it's just it was just like four nanometer too. That TSMC node that they used in these four thousand series cards. My God, it's good. It's extremely good too. And that's 
something that maybe even shocked the guys at NVIDIA themselves. Maybe we can get away with cutting down more shaders on the 4080. Um, because, yeah, this TSMC 4 nanometer stuff that they're using is, is incredible. The clock speed. Incredibly speeds, expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a good thing. Well, that's a good thing if you're getting the 4090. You're getting much better value than a 3090. Much better mm. value. Oh, but, I know. But but the reason I brought up these performance things is just to tell you what I expect is mm. I, I don't think you should discount that this thing could just destroy the 4080. Like, I hope it does. That's what I mean. I hope it does. Like, I really do hope it does. But do you but, think, but I'm trying to get to a question from PC Dog. He mm. says, does the 7900 XTX need to beat the 4080 in ray tracing in order to take market share? Because it is $200 yes. cheaper. Yes. Right. It needs to beat it in the other because you've got more. I consider, like, if I'm looking at the products on the shelves, I'm considering more value add from NVIDIA in that you've got the, the DLSS 3 there, you've got the DLSS 2, you've got you know, better ray tracing, then that $200 is then suddenly looking like a justifiable purchase if you're thinking about going NVIDIA versus AMD. But if you've got better ray tracing on AMD now, and you've got better raster, and it's, it's actually healthier, a much healthier leg of rasterization, then yeah, that'll, be a, that'll make the 7900 XTX a better buy. So but I think they need to beat it in the, other, in the other segments too, and ray tracing is one of those. But again, I just this one I've really wait and see, man. I really, I'm really wait and see on the fence with this one because, again, when they compare their product to the 4090 in certain ways and then completely leave out any performance comparisons it's for me it was like okay well yeah but so that's your opinion though it will take market share if it's close to a 4090 and beats the 4080 in ray tracing oh, but it would have to do that to take yes, market share yeah yeah easy if it does what you're saying it does yeah that's market share back to amd definitely and i hope it does i love competition man it's is only spelled better value uh, going forward. But I think there's a lot of people skeptical of that because we've seen NVIDIA just take market share most generations, right? Even like Fermi versus 6000 series where I remember scratching my head on that one. Like like one of the least reliable, most power-hungry generations ever. Why are people buying this over AMD? A lot of times, especially in the Moore's Laws Tech community, when people ask, do you think this would be good enough for Radeon to take market share? It's couched through this perspective of We've seen AMD have good products before and not take market share from NVIDIA a lot. Sometimes I think people give them too much credit, but at the same time, like when I look back at like, and this is of course a decade ago or over a decade really at this point, um, you know, Fermi was kind of a disaster and AMD took market share at first against Fermi, but eventually with the the uh, GTX 500 series, NVIDIA just started finally taking back market share with a generation though that used more energy, costs more like and had pretty widespread reliability issues actually as well and i just go i think there's always this hesitation to believe amd can take market share from nvidia even if the product does end up outperforming expectations so i mean i was gaming at the time heavily back then uh the the reason people scratch their heads at fermi especially if you're looking back at just historical numbers i was in heavily into world of warcraft at that time and it was no joke. NVIDIA had much better drivers for World of Warcraft. ATI at the time was, well, you're going back to 2006, 2007, probably around when the numbers started to go in favor of NVIDIA and never went back to AMD from there. But that was well, ATI and then AMD 
acquired them. Around 2011 is when they like, because I think they really, got to, yeah, yeah, they started getting much more off. momentum. Yeah, but that the roots of all that, in my opinion, in PC gaming, span from World of Warcraft. You had a huge World of Warcraft was massive on PC back in the mm-hmm. 2000 from 2010. Well, 2004, it launched in beta, and then was it 2005, it started getting really popular. 2006, it just went out of control. And the expansions were really good, and the gameplay was smoother on video cards. You didn't have to, you didn't need a high speed camera to see that. You just looked with your eyes. And even if you were getting, say, 50 FPS on an NVIDIA card, that was looking way smoother than 70 FPS on an AMD card. Mm. The, the 0.1% low stuttering was horrendous on ATI cards at the time. It was a real big problem for them, which and then if you look at some of the later years, they then got high-speed cameras on that and said, yeah, this is a problem. The frame pacing is horrendous on these cards. And it, then AMD had to go back and, and research and really re-optimize their drivers mm-hmm. and actually overhaul their drivers to to alleviate that problem. So a lot of people were just buying NVIDIA cards back then because they just didn't care. They didn't mm-hmm. care about the performance differences. They wanted to play World of Warcraft smoothly. And so, <laughs> and not only that, it could have been another thing where NVIDIA were actually sponsoring that title. World of Warcraft oh, was sponsored NVIDIA, by NVIDIA. I'm going to be honest. Like, it was impossible to even know about Radeon unless you were an enthusiast. Like, you go to NVIDIA's website as, lo- as far back as, like, 2000. Eight even they had these like slick charts. They had a web page for every graphics card. They had comparisons to previous generations. They were talking about all their features. Radeon's website was very bare bones. Like a, it looked like a mid-sized company in the Midwest. Like had like this is like you know like a a roofing supplier or something. It's like oh yeah, here's like a mom and pop's website. That's what Radeon's website looked like back then. I mean, it was, well, yeah. So it was like. NVIDIA had it going on on that the other points, the, the value-add points that you needed to hit. And it, why someone in ATI Group didn't take that feedback and look into it reflects back on the company and your product, right? If, if you've got hundreds of people saying, just shout, like, dude, you, go and, you went into World of Warcraft back in the day, some dude's asking in general chat, hey, my, my game's stuttering a little bit. Someone's just telling them, go buy an 8800 GT, bro. It's just span, like it's just constant. Like in even in the game's chat itself, you had these problems, and why ATI didn't take that seriously back then and just analyze it side by side, have one PC set up with the ATI card, one PC set up with the NVIDIA card, reflects back on their their product at the time. You don't just need a good product; you need everything else, right? You go buy a drag car for the circuit. You ain't going to be doing too well. You're going to constantly just fly off the corners. You buy a proper circuit <laughs> car for that circuit, you're going to be doing well, right? So, of course, people, if they're just racing that circuit, they're going to want that car. So, NVIDIA did pay attention to those details back then, even though they had the inferior product. But they did pay attention to the other things, and those other things did matter a lot. And word spread very quickly in the PC gaming community. And that's what no one really talked about on forums and... Mm-hmm. because it didn't matter. People were talking in chat in the games, all the general chats. Just grab an NVIDIA card, it's smoother. That was all you got. Go get an NVIDIA card, it's smoother. And years later, all those guys were proven right. Yeah, because eventually um, with G-Sync, that brought the whole frame pacing issue to the forefront. And 
Once websites started analyzing frame pacing, AMD put out a bunch of frame pacing fixes <laughs> for the 7000 series. It's, it is true too back then, like, and now, you know, it's easy to make the David and Goliath argument over and over. But back then, NVIDIA really wasn't as big as they are now. They weren't, you know. And I think AMD back then thought, you know, if we just have better on-paper performance and price our cards 40% lower, we'll take all of the market. But then they didn't. And then NVIDIA had more R&D money. Yeah. And then ever since Kepler, they just took the ball and ran. Mm -hmm. And they never looked back. So that's where we're at to today. <laughs> so Chippy writes in and he says, big fan of you both. Why would anybody buy the 7900 XT for $900? If you can get the 7900 XTX for just $100 more, greetings from Germany. And if I could go first on this, my answer is, I think AMD is just pricing this in line with the cost to make it. Like they're removing four gigabytes of RAM and it's a little cheaper board, maybe. And they're like, like the fact of the matter is this thing uses a 300 millimeter squared five nanometer die. Yields on five nanometer are better than seven at TSMC. So I think they're like, we don't even need to make a lot of 7900 XTs. Hmm. Like at the end of the day, this thing probably costs $50 less to make. So we're going to sell it for $100 left because it's going to sell out anyways. I think that's what they're thinking. Well, I mean, to answer his question, yeah, I, I wouldn't be buying the 7900 XT. So I'd be buying the XTX. Like, what's the point? This time around, you're not getting that cut down value that you traditionally got. And I think mm -hmm. that's a trend that you're seeing, not just from AMD, but NVIDIA themselves too. Go buy the more expensive product now. It's better value. It's better value. What? <laughs> better value on the flagship now? That's never been a thing that came through in decades before. It was always the flagship was like for that person who wanted that extra 10, 20%, but wanted mm -hmm. to pay double. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a different sort of set of circumstances we're going into here in terms of how you should spend your money. But uh, yeah, I, from what I'm looking at on the paper, paper surface, that thing's going to perform slower than that $100 difference justifies. Yeah, and I mean, the 7900 XT from my perspective, seems to be something in between like the amount of cut down you were looking at with a 6800 XT or, and a 6800 compared to the 6900 XT. It's not a, it's not like a glorified 7800 they're selling as that. It's, it is less cut down than the 6800 was, but it's more cut down than the 6800 XT was on a smaller die on a more better yielding node. So I would warn people that I think AMD knows that like a I, I wouldn't be surprised if less than half of the cards manufactured with this die even become that. And so they know that like they're not even going to make a whole lot of them. So it's like this is the cheaper one because it is cheaper. But honestly, guys, we know it's going to sell out because we're making more 7900 XTXs anyways. Um, Swiggles writes in and he says, hey, Tom and Brian. What do you guys think about the rumor that Navi 31 has a clock speed flaw causing horrific scaling at higher clock speeds? It would at least make more sense as to why AMD didn't shoot for the moon with TDPs. And with all the effort they went through last gen to compete with the 3090, I just have a weird feeling about their product positioning this gen if, if we're missing something. And this is something I say too is from what I'm hearing, AIBs will be bringing out some pretty insane stuff. Like AMD has directly said in interviews these can hit three gigahertz. I've heard about some 500 and 450 watt variants that use three eight pins. I mean, Asus has already shown off a triple eight pin version of the 7900 XTX. So we know this is coming. 
But if it easily gained 20% performance, no matter what that performance ends up being, I think they would have launched a card that did that. I think what we're going to see is it's these three gigahertz models are probably only going to be 10% better while using 50% more energy. And AMD just thought that would be stupid on a reference card. I, I mean, I'm just getting weird vibes. Yeah. Like he sums it up. I mean, me too. These, these guys riding in are just getting the same sort of train of thought that I've got. Yeah. Like I'm getting really weird vibes from this, the XTX launch. Um, and for me, it's never been, I, I can't give you a certain, I feel like it could go either way. I feel like it could go that 30, 40% or it could go the 50 to 70%. I just really want to wait and see on this one. I'm actually on the fence. So, and it could be a clock scaling issue. Who knows? We have to wait and see and test it. So it's, um, it's really interesting. This one, eh? is AMD going to pull out the underdog champion or are they going to do another Vega essentially? So. Yeah, I would just caution against the worst and best case scenarios because a lot of the opinions I'm seeing are this thing's going to fall flat. And then on the other end, I'm seeing people go, just wait, it's going to actually be 80% better. It's like, probably not. <laughs> mm. If it was going to be 80% better, they'd be bragging about that. Well, they'd sure. stop. Yeah, they want you to stop going out and thinking about buying a 4090. They want you to not do that. That's their money that you're giving to NVIDIA, right? So. If they did have this much superior product, because one thing you, you can't get wrong, if you're marketing something, you're saying it's really amazing, but then you don't deliver, that's the worst outcome because mm-hmm. you're destroying loyalty. You're basically- I, I wonder if they're really scared of that too, like if they overpromise. Exactly. So you can't do that. That's the 101 in marketing. Don't, yeah, once you lose that trust, it, it's gone for like, well, it's gone for a long time. You've got to really work hard to build it out, right? You know, it takes years to build a relationship, even with humans, right? Human to human it takes seconds to destroy it. That's, that's same as in business, like with a product as well. It's going to be the same thing. So you have to tread lightly with these things. You can't, you never over promise and under deliver when it comes to uh, product launches. So they know not to do that. But um, yeah, definitely you can blur the lines. That seems to be the strategy from all the companies, actually just blur the lines. And then when it comes out, let the reviewers deal with it, beta testing included. So mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, this one's really, for me, sitting on the fence. I, I hope, of course, I hope it's for the, the better. I hope it's the over, 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 like over, over deliver, sorry. My, my guess would be, too, that they're like, if it's going to lose a lot of efficiency at high clock speeds, even if it did deliver, let's say, they might go, let's let the reviewers discover that and then it'll become a positive thing. Because that's a much better scenario, I imagine, for them if they're like, oh, it turns out it overclocks well, you can gain some performance. Then if they clock this thing to the moon, you can't tweak it at all in reviews and it loses an efficiency or something. Like, it's like, let that become a happy surprise because... It's not scaling. There's a reason they didn't do it, right? Again, you know, like they would have done it if there was a reason to. But I want to pivot to this, though, um, because I think this is a really interesting question as well. Let's say that AMD launches something in between the 4080 and the 4090. The 7900 XT is close to a 4080. Let's just say it becomes close to a 4080. What does NVIDIA do? Because they've got their stack so highly priced, if the 7900 XT managed to match a 4080, 
where do they price the 4070? Because you might say $600, but if they price that at six or $700, it's, I've never seen a generation where the 70 costs half as much as the 80 class. Yeah, so it, I think it'll be 799. That's where I think your 4070 is coming in at. Um, they just, again, NVIDIA, yeah, they have their 4090 there. That's the champion. They're not worried. They actually want to push people up towards that. And if you can't afford it, well, hey, we've got DLSS 3 for you and a 4070. So that's kind of their, their train of thought there. They're not like, I don't think they're thinking about AMD a whole lot. And I think they, I don't know, this generation is going to be very interesting from both sides. I'm keen to see how it plays out. But one thing is the 4090 definitely played out better than NVIDIA expected, I think. Oh, it did. But they didn't think it would sell out because of the recession. Like they, they thought, um, they thought it would be in stock for a week. It was in stock for half a day. It was insane, man. Even in Japan, I heard people were showing me pictures of queues here. I was like, wow, people are lining up midnight in Japan. Like Japanese are doing this too. It's a thing here. But yeah, they were lining up to get their forty nineties. So you know, you know what a suspicion I have too is, um, I think that people lined up for the forty ninety because they looked at the specs and said the forty eighty is going to suck anyway. So I might as well just buy the forty ninety. Well, that's uh, yeah. If you look at the spec sheet, man, you can pretty much get a lot of the answers that you already sort of inclined to to think where it's going to fall so so chris rich writes in though and he says hi tom and brian how important is it to you that you attach product names compared to their price and performance would a different combination of numbers and letters in the name change your buying decision for example if nvidia had kept the bad naming of the 4812 gigabyte but it priced it at say 700 dollars or 800 dollars, you think they'd still have unlaunched it uh, that's actually a good question, but again, they wouldn't drop it that low to begin with, so it's kind of an impossible scenario. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, th- of course, by giving it the 408012 gig, they wanted to justify a higher price just because it's an 80 series card, but a lot of the market called that out. Like er- Everyone I knew called that out. It was the one spot where NVIDIA sort of really started to stretch it a little bit and started to say, hey, we're, we're going for you know, we need to keep up profits on the, the quarterlies. So we're, we're going with something a little bit outlandish here. And no, yeah, everyone called it out. It's like, no, NVIDIA, stick to not being ridiculous and come back to reality. So I think you'll get the 4070, it'll be $100 cheaper. I'm hoping for $150 cheaper. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be your cut. It's not going to be amazing. Nothing like Below the 4090, I don't think anything's going to amaze the crap out of the market. The 4090 already was NVIDIA's plan to get themselves out of this crypto mess. That was like if I brainstormed once crypto was selling the way it was, I was like, NVIDIA really needs something different in the market. And then they need to deliver with that. And the 4090 did just that. So I think they're going to be dedicating a lot of that silicon to the 4090 itself and Mm -hmm. moving through this generation, just... Letting it all sort of like letting the market. Just, I think so too. It's a free for all. As much of the newer capacity to the forty ninety as possible, and probably save the lower dice for laptops yeah. because they know there's just no point in selling them in desktop when Ampere's still on the market. Another thing is too is that gaming doesn't make up as much of makes up way less than it did twenty years ago. Right, they were gaming focused companies back then. Now, data center and B two B makes up the majority of their revenue. So they. They are going to prioritize those. 
over gaming now. So what you're going to get with gaming is, okay, what can we do to get ourselves out of this mess? And the 4090 was that solution. So I don't think they're too concerned about the 4080 and what they're changing to the 4070 going forward. And they know there's a they know there's so many of those 3000 series cards out there, man. <laughs> That's going to be a problem because they already learnt from the previous crypto bust with all those GTX 10 series cards that came on the market. And uh, that was huge. That was a big problem for them back then. And uh, that wasn't anywhere near the scale as it is this time around. This time around was just that. It's 2017 on steroids and not just one type of steroid, like five or six mixed in together. And so GPU sales for crypto miners was just through the roof through these last two years. So that, that's a problem that exists, right? Why even bother launching cards in that price segment when the value coming from the, your own older cards is going to be much better, even if you've got the new innovation? So hence the 4090, man. That's where we're back at it. So even AMD, AMD's suffering that, uh, that problem as well. All those 6700 XTs, they were bought up by miners. 6800, 6800 XTs, miners were loving those things. And uh, yeah, now it's coming back to haunt them both. And um, yeah, so the XTX better deliver. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this too, because I think there's an honest question here. Like, I think we've been dancing around. I think we agree that like CPUs are at a level of gaming performance now where it kind of is starting to feel silly. And you see people comparing these like, you know, $500, $700 CPUs that are like, all trying to win by 3% in gaming when we've been able to go to 200 hertz for five years. Like, what are we even talking about anymore? Well, but I, like, just sorry, I recently did a video with 13600K on the cheapest motherboard, cheapest DDR4. And at 4K with the 4090, it really made virtually no difference. So mm-hmm. going out and spending all that extra money on the CPU side of things, especially when you're getting a 4090, for instance, for what it's intended to do, you're just wasting your money. That's my opinion on it. But so... When do you think we're going to get there with GPUs? Because I think this is something I've been talking about. Actually, I did a video last year about this of like, look, guys, at a minimum, it seems like Lovelace and RDNA 3 are going to bring like a 50 to 100% increase in performance. And from what I'm hearing from people at these companies, they think Blackwell and RDNA 4 are going to do a similar thing. So I'm like, well, wait a second. If that's even remotely true, that means in three years, we'll have graphics cards four times better than like a 3080. Like, at what point do people say the same thing that they're saying about CPUs of like, guys, like, we have more raster performance than we even remotely need, which was uh, Wash Machine and Men, Wash, wa- was Machine Man NL writes in and asks, is raster performance hitting a wall by now? Oh, easily. Yeah. These are actually great questions because things that I've sort of thought about going to sleep, I've been sleeping on a lot of these things and bringing the RTX into the equation. And Mm -hmm. that's why there's been this focus on RTX. I guess NVIDIA could see that years ago and knows, okay, once we get to this raster limit, what do we, we have to keep selling cards. We have to offer something new, has to be better. Now in their defense, Cyberpunk 2770 was amazing with ray tracing. It just brought out a whole new world in my opinion. The game looked very good. A lot of other games though, with ray tracing on, I just turn it off. I think it's just doesn't really add anything to the table. So I think this time... I think the Gen 1 ray tracing game, some of them looked worse with it on because it was so blurry. It was just bad, yeah. So a lot of ray tracing is a difficult beast to tame and they're trying to get it right, right? There's much. There's a big focus on this ray tracing because that's the next key 
to giving a better gaming experience. But still, a lot of people, like I was playing, I played like a Nintendo Switch with my son. We played Mario Kart 8. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's fun. The games are fun. Do you, mm-hmm. you get to that stage where do you need more though? Do you need more to enjoy video gaming? And that's a difficult thing that the market's going to decide on in the years to come. Uh, I'm sort of a believer in the gameplay now is much more important than the graphics. So we need the games. And the problem is, though, when the games are good on just Rasta, it's not good for NVIDIA or AMD, is it? So mm-hmm. that's a difficult Well, then thing. we have what? DLSS and FSR out too. So mm-hmm. like it, like it's with how good FSR 2... We'll see what FSR 3 is capable of. We have DLSS is always getting upgraded. It's also conceivable that like... By the time RDNA 4 and Blackwell are out, DLSS and R- and I, I'd argue we're almost already there now, actually. DLSS and FSR are so good, they look slightly better than native, boost your frame rate by 50%, and we're just at laughable. I mean, you got AMD talking about, you got benchmarks from both AMD and NVIDIA with their new cards with their like 500 frames per second, and I'm just like, what are we? Yeah, yeah I know, 500, hmm. like what's the point? <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think the 4090 is actually that final limit, like, Man, I was, I'm capping frames at 4K on ultra settings with raster. I'm capping mm-hmm. frames because I don't want to waste any extra power. So I think the 4090 is that, that hit now, that limit. And so that's why I think another reason why a lot of people saw the benchmarks is like, hey, I want to play at 144 hertz 4K. This is great for not just competitive, but also a really good experience on RPGs. So it gives them the best of both worlds. But after that, NVIDIA's got to do their homework. So do AMD, because once you get to that ceiling, you got to provide, again, you got to provide something that's worth going out and buying. Um, otherwise, yeah, like if you've got a really fast car and the car that's coming out after it's only just a fraction faster and you don't even need that performance on the track, you're going to go out and buy that new car? Probably not. So, yeah, well, yeah it's kind of like... If, if sports cars, which actually you've kind of seen this in the sports car world, I would argue, but people still buy them sometimes, where it's just like, you know, honestly, from the 60s to the 80s, cars weren't that fast compared to now. So they were getting better every year in terms of like speed, acceleration. We're getting to the point now where it's like the hyper cars you can buy are so fast, it's laughable they're on the road. Yeah. Like, and like, I think the 4090 is the first time we're seeing this kind of an analogy to graphics cards where I guess you can get this for gaming, but like, it, again, you know, I think um, uh, this is a question I think maybe you'll enjoy because a centerpiece of that video I did where I talked about like the potential of what's going to happen when RDNA 4 and Blackwell are out, I was like, I'm not sure how they're going to get you to upgrade anymore because obviously I think they'll have to double down on ray tracing performance with RDNA 4 and so on and so forth because I don't know what else you're going to do. Like, we don't need more raster. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, mid-range cards from RDNA 4 may be around 4090 performance. And if anyone buys that, I don't know how they get you to buy RDNA 5. Well, know? there was, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg tried, right? Metaverse. He tried. He really did. So, Oh, he's still trying, by yeah. the way. <laughs> so there you go. They're trying to bring in something completely different that you know, if you look at a VR headset, there's countless pixels you can over a 4k monitor you can expand that into oblivion so really when you compare it to a 4k monitor so that was i think there was that push for vr but people do people want it i put on a vr headset i get a little bit sick and i couldn't see myself wearing a vr headset for hours let alone 30 minutes so 
It's difficult. Yeah. They've, there's the industry itself is you raise a great point on this podcast. The industry itself is now hitting. If you're looking, if you're forward looking, it's hitting that limit and ray tracing, I guess is the short term answer. But even then ray tracing has to deliver in the games itself where I've only played a handful of games where I've enjoyed ray tracing on. And most of the games I turn it off that have it there. So there's that technology that's still years after it's been released, still sort of needs, needs a bit of work. So, all right, let me start pivoting to something else here. Cause we haven't actually talked about, it, it seems like we just agree. Like, we're not these companies. We just think it's going to be hard to sell <laughs> some of these mm-hmm. products once we hit these performance levels. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, let's be clear about the 4092. I know like ray tracing is like a thing that was up for debate if it's ready, but it seems like the 4090 hits ray tracing levels of like, oh no, we're kind of done with that now too. Jesus, they just nailed it, you know? Mm. Depends on the game. Like if you look at Cyberpunk where ray tracing is is really nice, you're still not getting huge levels of performance. Like if you're going 4K raw ray tracing, it's still not the 4090 can't keep up there. And that that's why I'd go back sure. to Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is a great example of when ray tracing looks amazing. So they really went to town on that game to with be, the ray tracing. To be honest though. My opinion on that is when I look at Hitman 3, they have reflections in mirrors without ray tracing turned on. Mm. I would suspect they maybe could be a little more efficient with how they're (laughs) generating some of those effects, though. Yeah, true. That is true as well. So bottom line is, though, like when when you get a game and you turn on the ray tracing and the performance tanks as much as it does in Cyberpunk, there is still room there not just for efficiency but, I guess, performance, and that's where they want to go, I think. Mm -hmm. So they want to make it so you've got game A, game A with ray tracing. Looks so much better. You've got to get this new product. It's going to do this for you. That's where the industry will go in the next few years, I think, Um, especially if consoles push it that way. But again, yeah, just turn ray tracing off and you've got an amazing smooth experience with the stuff that's two, three years old. So <laughs> they're fighting a big uphill battle there, especially for competitive gamers. Competitive gamers, I guarantee you won't want ray tracing on. This is going to be an annoyance. All right, so let me jump into the CPU side of things. We've already, of course, talked about it a little bit. But, I mean, I just want to get your general opinion like on how you feel about Zen 4, Raptor Lake um, in general, but then moving forward, like, where do we go with enthusiast CPUs? Because I, I don't want to, like, you know, lead the question too much. But I think we've already kind of said we both think that they're kind of getting absurd how powerful CPUs are. So, yeah, see, it's funny because I, I did a bit of research and, like, AM5 is looking a lot like X299 was, where it's looking more like it's a HEDT platform in terms of, especially in terms of sales, right? then you got those high entry level costs and it's just really unappealing for someone who wants that latest and greatest six core 12 thread and they can't do a whole lot with it. They're much better off just going buying a 5800 X3D, much better off. And so AMD's presented themselves. I think they didn't want AM5 to go the way it did. I think they thought maybe people were going to be so excited about it and wow, this extra performance, but I guess, yeah, back to that limitations. It's like, well, what can I do with my 5600 that I can't mm-hmm. do? 
with the 7600X, well, not a whole lot. If you've got a 144 hertz 1080p monitor, your 5600's just fine. So do you want to go out and then buy a new monitor and buy a new GPU on top of all that? So the CPU division is definitely facing a, a, a in its own ways, its own problems that the GPU is presented with the crypto problem. The CPU market's presented with, okay, the realism problem. And that's, uh, do you need that extra performance? Because now, even for me, like I can play games on a Ryzen 5 5500 and be happy as Larry. That's fine. That's a cheap CPU. I can pick it up off AliExpress. Even Larry locally. is a famously happy person. Yeah. Leisure Suit Larry, I think. Was it Leisure Suit Larry? Oh, that's who you're referencing? Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> a different kind of Larry. So, yeah. But, um, uh, so you can, you can go back and say, okay, Ryzen 5 5500, it's perfect for what I do and I don't need any more. And a lot of people don't. The majority of people won't need any more than that CPU. And uh, you can go into the whole elitist thing, but are you playing for big money? Yeah. Because if you're not, then, yeah, even then you can get good on a 5500. Like I'd much rather put my money on a guy who's skilled has a Ryzen 5500 and, and an RTX uh, 3050 than a guy who's got a 3090 and a 3900, 1300K. Uh, the guy with skills going to win every time. It uh, doesn't matter about his frame rates, 20%, 30% less with competitive settings. So they're, they're really facing it. The CPU market's facing a difficult position because those competitive frames that a lot of them were advertising years ago, like CSGO, we're breaking 400 FPS, they're now going up to 800 FPS and it's like, you don't need that FPS, man. Like no one needs that. It's just not going to make a difference any way, shape or form. Your internet mm-hmm. connection is going to make the difference. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of gone to a, a situation that isn't looking that great for the CPU market because yeah, the games, I guess, aren't keeping up. But if you had these games suddenly with all these massive amounts of physics going on and intense shadows that people really wanted to have on, then yeah, you, you, I think basically maybe Intel and NVIDIA and AMD all need to start putting money in towards game development too and start chipping in more because that's where they're going to have to get their sales from is people wanting that new new high-end game with the new high-end engine that really utilizes the new stuff. But if you look at the top 10 Steam games, it's just people playing yeah. the old same games that can run fine on anything that's already out there. So the CPU market's actually facing a bigger problem than the the GPU market, at least in the short and medium term, that's for sure. Reezy likes browsing Netflix, but not just part of Netflix, all of Netflix regardless of region. And why shouldn't she? She's paying for it. These regional content walls are silly. And you know, you can avoid the silliness just like her if you also get atlas vpn today's piece of content is sponsored by atlas vpn atlas vpn is an incredibly affordable vpn that's become a long-term sponsor of moore's law is dead and so if you need a vpn show them some love but not just because i told you to or because they support this channel but also because atlas vpn gains you access to content in other regions that companies want to nickel and dime you out of and make you go to other services to get but you don't have to they also allow for blazing fast competitive upload and download speeds work on unlimited devices and they even stop ads and malware including malicious links and trackers trying to steal your data and they also 
work to show the best prices available while you're shopping, subverting attempts to gouge you based on location or operating system. And well, that one is just incredibly useful, in my opinion, because it demonstrates that you're actually paying for something here, although you're really not paying much. That's right. It's saving you money every month despite only costing $1.70 a month if you click the link in the description and use the code Moore's Law for three years of service with six months free while they are running their special Black Friday deal that applies now. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting Atlas VPN today. Yeah, for do it yourself. And... That's definitely true. And it's funny, like I just put out this leak, like kind of going through everything I could confirm about, you know, Meteor Lake, Raptor, no, wait, Meteor Lake, Arrow Lake, Lunar Lake, Panther Lake, and so on and so forth. And I, I saw a lot of people in the comments go, wait, really? Meteor Lake may only go up to six big cores and 16 little cores on desktop. And it's like, well, you know, they had some plans to make an 8 plus 16, but I think from their perspective, they're not sure what that gains them on desktop if they're running out of money, which Intel has to look at where they're spending money now. And it's I had a decent amount of people in the comments disagree with me. I'm like, I, I don't think six big cores and 16 little cores, when those cores are like 15 to 25% better than the previous gen, are going to be any worse at gaming and i'm not really sure what you would and you know like there were rumors of arrow like hitting 32 uh was it 32 little cores and like i heard there was this plan to maybe do that but is that even a consumer processor anymore 32 little cores like what are you going to do with that and i'm starting to wonder if like intel just doesn't see a point in pushing it beyond what they're doing now in the consumer space if it wins gaming and adding 16 more little cores ain't going to help gaming at all yeah, that's that's the point that again, um I haven't actually even looked into that too far. I haven't thought about much of that at all, actually, to be fair, because my brain's already sapped thinking about all the issues <laughs> that I've got on the plate at the moment. But um when you look at six cores, twelve threads on a newer generation, and that's coming from eight cores, sixteen threads on the performance side. You, they, they know not to do that. With the eleven nine hundred K versus the ten nine hundred K, they already know that's that's stupid of them to do that if they do. Because well, they're going to. <laughs> well, consumers don't want less then. They don't want, like, even if the performance is better, consumers still look at that as less, right? So the, the biggest, like, why, for instance, if I look at the Japanese statistics, why the 13600K is outselling the Ryzen 5 7600X, for example, it's got more cores. People are looking at that. Wow, it got six cores and 12 threads on performance. Then I got those e-cores. I got much better productivity, much better uh, things outside of gaming. And then the gaming's fairly comparative. So they're going for the 13600K just by those metrics. So like you're giving people less when they look at the core count. Well, now, the i5 won't change though. The i5 can still be six plus eight with Meteor Lake. So they're not releasing an i9 or they're just giving you more e-cores or like what? Well, I don't know. Raptor Lake was weird too. Was I mean, uh, not Raptor. Ro now I did the mistake. I get mad of other people and they do it. Rocket Lake, not Raptor Lake. Mm. Rocket Lake was weird too, you know? Mm. And it was what the, they had to make a decision. Personally, what I think they should do is not call the top CPU an i9. I think that was stupid with Rocket Lake. They should have just said, hey, no i9 this gen because we don't have it. But yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I can guess what they're going to do. My guess would be they give the 6 plus 16 to the i9 if they have an i9. I don't think they should. 
And then they have a 6 plus 12 or something for the i7, 6 plus 8 for the i5, so the i5 stays the same and so on and so forth down the product stack. But And that's going to be on a new motherboard? Yeah, LGA1851. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough sell. That's an extremely tough sell. Then. Oh, we yeah. agree. I think uh, I think it's going to be a rough one. I think Arrow Lake I'm much more excited about out of Intel, but... I'm just saying what I think they're thinking. I think they're thinking this isn't going to be a winner either way. So why, why go for it if it's not going to beat Zen Five anyways? And that's kind of what Man. they did with Rocket Lake. That if you're a shareholder now and you like what you're saying is it has fruit to it, right? That's Man, some people are getting sacked at Intel, even if they're cutting jobs already. There's more jobs that'll be cut. Because that's well, some terrible decisions, not just from the marketing angle, but you've got well, to sell. Let's, let's talk about that then. I mean, we don't need to get into the nitty gritty of like future specs, but like mm. you're kind of, let's just talk about Intel in general. Like, I, I, I'm convinced this is, I mean, at least as of now, I'm told someone working on this, like this is what we're going up to, 6 plus 16 for Meteor Lake. There's even rumors they may not release it to desktop. They may just try to do a Raptor Lake refresh and then launch Arrow Lake, which sounds like you think that might be smarter than going. No, yeah, well, the motherboards are there. The DDR4 support's there. People, mm-hmm. the, the consensus, if you look at like, not AM4, AM4 is extremely good value. It's sort of got its own people upgrading within AM4 still. But if you're looking at Raptor Lake purely versus AM5, Raptor Lake's winning out at the moment. It's it's beating it comfortably in sales. And so they do that by offering options, right? You, the, the, you can get a 13600K, pair it with DDR4, and get a cheap B660. So Isn't that still more money, though, than Zen X3D, though? Like, shouldn't you just get the 5800X3D with DDR4 if you're going to well, do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. X3D is great. Yeah. But you still got more in terms of productivity on 13600K, right? So, sure. Yeah. So you still got, there's options there. That's the bottom line is. Um, and so you've got between AM4, AM, sorry, AM4 and, and, and Raptor Lake, you've got the best there. So the AM5 is really not looking a whole great, uh, that great to the consumer. But then we go into if they're going to do this option where go buy a new motherboard DDR5 mm-hmm. only. It, again, AM5 is already there to show them this is not going to work. It's just mm-hmm. not. Well, and by you, then AM5 will have Zen 4 with Vcash models out and DDR5 and that, will be cheaper and AM5 will be a bit more plentiful. So yeah, you almost wonder if they should just not launch this Meteor Lake lineup just because it, there's just no way it looks good. If it's the six cores, yeah like you're saying, and that's your flagship, it's not going to look that great. So I don't know what they're thinking there. They need to, again, in this market, you need to drop your margins. Everyone's taking a haircut. You need to do the same and you need to innovate too. And those that don't will fall behind. And Mm -hmm. it's such a tough market they're going into, but NVIDIA's already showed these guys that it can be done. You've just got to offer a lot more (laughs) if you want to sell. So, what will you be looking for though? With like, so it seems like your opinion is like, I don't really care about Meteor Lake if this is what they're doing. This sounds terrible. Yeah. But what would you be looking out of with Arrow Lake versus Zen 5? And to put things in perspective, I haven't like, like, so, you know, just everyone keep this part here with a little bit of a grain of salt because I haven't fully rounded the wagons and put out what I exactly think Zen 5 is going to be. But I I would suggest it's going to, let me think for a second, it's going to at least bring 
50% higher core counts than Zen 4 and a good IPC increase. So you'll have 24 to 32 cores, 20% higher IPC or something, let's say, on AM5 versus Arrow Lake, which is like, let's say, 25% higher IP. Well, actually, it's probably going to be more than that than Raptor Lake. So old Raptor Lake will be at the point. But, you know, like, what would you be like? They're both going to increase performance a lot. But what are you going to be looking for out of either Zen 5 and Arrow Lake to make you recommend one over the other, especially in this world where like games are so easy to run? A big jump over the 13900K in terms of Adobe Premiere Pro, because that's what I use personally. But then when it comes to the mainstream, it's like, okay, what's the power efficiency and what applications is this going to be good in? Because I think you're starting to go more towards productivity now. If these people are going to be using these for workstations. And so that's going to be the real focus coming out of these CPUs going forward is do they have the single core performance and do they have, say, the four-threaded performance, the eight-threaded performance? I've actually got to expand my benchmark suite as well in productivity and give people more information in that, in that spectrum. But in terms of the gaming, I'm not that enthusiastic about it as I once was, that's for sure. So... In terms you think of game, we've just done it. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. who cares? And so I'm losing a lot of interest in, like, yeah, CSGO. Oh my God, a thousand FPS now. Yeah, who cares? Like, really, who cares? It's, yeah, get a better internet connection then if that's your biggest concern or something. <laughs> I, I wonder um, how much of it's going to come down to like the accelerators. Cause I know Meteor Lake has accelerators in it. Um, Phoenix actually will. The four nanometer Phoenix APUs coming out early next year are going to have some Xilinx AI engines in there. We'll see what that does. Um, and I know that's only going to uh, Zen Five is supposed to have a whole bunch of them. Like, I- I'm starting to wonder like what you would be hoping they could do with dedicated silicon for certain tasks. To a certain extent, I almost wonder if like the problem is me and you don't think about that every day, so we're not, <laughs> you know, but no, like. So- Okay, that's a great question because one thing I do like, at the moment I have a 12900K. I've actually got to upgrade the main editing rig, but I, I like Thunderbolt. It's really good. Expanding display, like the display I'm talking to you on this podcast is expanded from my hub, my Thunder, you know, Thunderbolt extension hub that's giving me display out just so I can put it on this desk or my setup over there. So I want more of that. I want more expandability and just more... I guess even having audio now come off some of those, I guess you can do audio off Thunderbolt, but maybe more digital and yeah, there'd be things that could impress that could definitely help your workflow. And I think if they can get on that, because at the moment you're only just getting an iGPU with the Mm -hmm. 7000 series, right? AM5. So AMD is starting to realize that, well, a lot of people are buying Intel CPUs for Thunderbolt expandability. So AMD really need to get on that and offer their own and not just that go above and beyond so yeah that's uh in terms of what they can do with it impress me i haven't thought too much about it but yeah. impress me because thunderbolt was impressive it is impressive and so if you can get these high speed transfers off just everything you need just another computer essentially just by co- connecting a dock awesome all the power to you so let's work on some of that stuff as well yeah i'm I don't know. It's going to be a weird one because I think you're going to, you brought up the core count thing. And like, again, let's just hypothetically say like Zen 5 brings, I don't know, on AM5. Like, let's just say it's, I'm trying to remember. I should have had my notes up on what I was last told, but it's like, let's say it's uh, 32 cores, but Intel is like 8 plus 16, but Intel wins single threading by 10%. How, at what point do you think people stop caring about the thread count? 
you know. They're, they're already just, starting to not care so much about the thread count. Already that's starting to happen. Like mm-hmm. You've seen these motherboard costs and people are just starting to get put off by it. So that's why AM4 is already the message that people are getting sick of it. AM5 versus AM4 is already your, um, what is it, lining in the wall or something? What's the saying I want to say? It's already the writing on the wall. that The writing's on the wall. Yeah, the writing's on the wall there. People are just getting sick of it. And they, especially with the macroeconomic conditions thrown in too, but that there's that trend that's starting to emerge now where I think AMD are taken back. Maybe they're taken back by it. I'm like, whoa, we've got this amazing product, guys. Why are people not taking it up as much as we thought it would be? And so Intel's definitely got some warning signs there that if you, you do start having implementing some sort of value add outside of just raw cores, raw performance, raw everything. So we're going into a different age, right? A lot of mm-hmm. gaming's done on smartphones now. I, I personally don't game on a smartphone, but a lot of people do. Yeah. And the graphics aren't amazing, right? But there you go. So impress. That's what I want these companies to do now. It's not my job to think of ideas for them. So <laughs> I want well, them to you doing- would say it's distinguishing features at this point much more mm. than just, oh, I, now CSGO runs at 900 hertz. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's not what we're looking for anymore. No. I think even at 400 hertz is the cap. Like, didn't they, like I remember I researched some military thing where they had like the young guys who were like super fit and they could only notice, I think it was like 400 hertz or something. Like that was the max where they... What I've read is it depends, like, because our eyes don't see, like, digital things. That's not how we look. But yeah. they, that's not how our eyes pro- and brain process the world. Um, but we, like, see, and it depends on the color. But typically, changes in color and motion get to be around 400-something hertz. And then yeah. changes in lighting are 1,000 if you have good eyesight. Some people, it's half that, though. It's like the people that can't see the difference between 4K and 8K. Some people... Well, in the dark, if you move your hand and it's like all shadows, that's low F, you you know, so your eyes at night. you can see on-off light switch probably at 1,000, but you can see movement in a bright room of different colors at about 400. So it depends, Mm. but that's how our eyes and brains work, you know? So I would say at 1,000 hertz, there's no way in hell past that we're telling the difference. And at 480 hertz, you're already past diminishing returns. Oh, much past it. I'd I'd argue for me, 240 is the max I need at best. I think I agree. Like 240 is my max, man. After that, it's like, I'm just throwing money down the toilet. Like that's really my analogy for that. Because I I tried the 240 hertz versus the 360, Mm -hmm. right? And I enjoyed the 240 hertz better because it had sharper response times than the 360. Mm. And so I was like, well, they're both incredibly smooth, but I actually preferred the 240 hertz. And that came down to other factors. I I think I agree. I think around two, because I did at a gaming convention I went to a year ago, I tried out some crazy high refresh rate stuff. And I have to say, like, right up, about above 160 is where I'm like, it's starting to, like, it's, and I, and I'm, hey, I told everyone, hey, 120 hertz looks way better than 60. Oh, easy, but, yeah. Uh, right around 180, I'm going, uh, I couldn't tell when it was 180 and when it was 200 at all. Yeah, but see, this is great for us as communities to sort of emphasize this because outside of that, it's like, let's start putting focus on other areas instead of trying to go to a thousand Hertz, put that effort, that R and D into something that actually matters. I mean, I mean, Call of Duty could definitely take that 
as a hint to make a new engine instead of repasting the same engine on games. <laughs> I mean, to their credit, it, it sells incredibly well. But um, yeah, in terms of what I want to see is just more innovation impress me as a consumer, impress me. And I think if we get back to sound money, the sooner we get back to sound money, the sooner we get back to being impressed as consumers, which is such a weird correlation to throw in your podcast. But that's it's every, fine. everything I've had, that I've I had like Bitcoin developers and like, people who work in money on before too. I actually had one guy on who works as a low latency programmer for people who do trading on the New York Stock Exchange. So he's one of the people that programs oh, wow. the computers. You know, I'm sure you've heard of this where they like build their yeah. thing next to the stock exchange. Yep, so yep. He was the person who built those. And he oh, was wow. like talking high about frequency like, trader, eh? HFT. Like, and building the computer and like lowering the latency through fiber optics directly to the stock exchange. Like how do you minimize latency the most? Yeah. And he's like, it's an entirely different world than what high performance computing is there. It is only about IPC and clock speed. Mm. Like that's yeah. it. It's funny. Hey, it's funny. Yeah. The high frequency trading. That's an interesting yeah, I've researched a lot about that. Wow, incredible. So what people will do, and that's where innovation comes in as well. So they need the faster stuff, they'll pay for it. So yeah, cool world we live in. But again, it all comes back down to sound money, in my opinion. When you have sound money, people value the money itself and they'll only reward innovation rather than rewarding laziness from companies. So mm. 2022, we've definitely seen more sound of a dollar than we have in 2021 and 2020. So it's, and again, I hope something comes out of this where currencies are backed by something other than just the paper they're written on. So, yeah. That's speaking of like us talking about like what companies should be working on. Like this is far above, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, and, but, uh, let, all right. So the final thing I want to talk to you about is just kind of like a holiday shopping advice thing. Oh, like, cause cool. I see so many people talking about, like, again, like I've advised a lot of my friends in the U S right now at micro center, if you get a 7,700 X or higher, you get 6,000 megahertz Ram 32 gigabytes for free. They give you 32 gigabytes of Ram with a 7,700 X for free and up to a hundred dollars off a motherboard. And I'm like, so I don't know what you guys are waiting for, but it's not going to get better than that. So, what, <laughs> you know? so okay. So, what would the cheapest motherboard you get a hundred dollars off be? B six fifty or higher, just any of them. Now, obviously, it has to fit the seventy seven hundred X in it. You would assume, but actually, I'd, I wonder if those are separate deals. But yeah, so you could get, yeah, you could get like a two hundred dollar motherboard, and then they'll give you fifty bucks off, and they'll give you it's G scale, it's thirty two gigabytes of G scale RAM, six thousand megahertz Expo for free with a seventy seven hundred X. Dude, that's um, a really good deal. That is good. Like, if you want the highest, latest thing, that's but that's what people want is the normal pricing. So that's kind of they want that cheap hundred and fifty or not soon say cheap. But they want that hundred fifty dollar board, not the two hundred fifty dollar board. They want the 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 RAM to be not an expense that's exorbitant. And so, yeah, that's actually a pretty solid deal. So that's um in terms of holiday and buying advice, though, if you want to go my my angle, it's like. I, I'm used to price performance enthusiast, man. So it's just like look on your local marketplace, just sniff out those bargains because uh, I'll be doing a lot of content next month when I'm back in Australia, just going absolutely on the prowl. Like it's going to be pumping at Tech SEO. I might even play that that old school song, Pumping, by I think it's Anayak versus the. Uh, 
something, yeah. And we'll get that song cracking and we'll start BGMing that while we're picking up deals and just showing people how to get an absolutely insane gaming PC for a, even $500. So they'll be, they'll be great. This Christmas, if you're a tech enthusiast and you got some money saved and you haven't borrowed too much or you don't have too much debt on your hands or inflation hasn't eaten into your living like lifestyle too much like if you've been able to say get on the can of baked beans you got some money to spend on gaming pieces this christmas is going to be the best especially compared to the last few years it's going to be one especially right if you have a deal like the one i brought up because i know there will be i think what i expect next year is amd will do some price cuts and then ddr5 will be cheaper and motherboards will become cheaper i don't think they're going to become free ram cheaper though i don't think they're going to be 200 cheaper And it's so hard. you can wait for X3D if you want. But I the, the the argument I've been making is it's like, to do what? So you want Zen 4 with X3D to get another up to 30% performance increase, probably closer to like 10 to 15% though in a lot of games. And is that making your gaming experience better than a 7700X now? Is it really? It comes down, I think with the X3Ds, the biggest selling point is that they're 0.1% lows. Um, I'm actually going to be doing a video very soon with just the cheapest DDR4 memory, comparing that with a 13600K. I'm going to be looking really hard at those 0.1% lows because a lot of people have been saying, okay, this thing is just the smoothest CPU ever. Um, I agree, the 5800X3D is smooth. And so they Mm -hmm. want, at at some stage as well, you stop looking at the average FPS and you want to look at just the 0.1% lows because that's what really matters. When you're gaming, that's mm. your smoothest experience. Because you're got, probably capped at 120 hertz anyway. So Yeah, and a lot of game engines anyway, they have um, polling rates hidden in the engine that are 60 FPS. So it's like you want your 0.1% low above 60 at all times, say in Dota 2. So if your 5800X3 is providing that, why bother getting a 7700X? And you want mm-hmm. the X3D because it's actually going to be better despite the average FPS, even if it does have a boost on AM5. So I think a lot of people are waiting out for that X3D because they just want that smooth gaming experience, no matter what they're doing. Another thing I really do want to spend, allocate, I guess I just don't have time. I don't have time. I want to get into those massive multiplayer online titles, go to the cities where there's just like 50, 100 mm-hmm. people and benchmark there, do a CPU comparison in those situations because a lot of people want to see that. They want to know... If I'm playing these MMOs and I go to these areas, what's the difference then going to be in the 0.1% lows? Is it going to be a stuttery mess on X CPU or is it going to be a stuttery mess on uh, CPU Y? So they want to know those numbers, which uh, as a review, I just don't have, I didn't have time. And I, I do want to actually see that. That's the biggest one for me. Um, but it yeah. seems like your advice would generally be if you're shopping this holiday season, Go for the budget deals, most likely, not yeah. for the top end, because the top end's just not getting you anything, right? That's it. Yeah, go for the I like the used GPUs are just incredible right now. Um, the deals you're picking up, uh, of course, as well. The RX sixty six hundred new, that's an incredible deal <laughs> yeah, that's under two hundred dollars. That's great. Like, really is. If you count the M two money supply inflation versus the RX sixty six hundred price, it's a bargain. New, used, whatever. AliExpress the RX sixty six hundred M. $175 ship. Yeah, the That's, laptop edition, which is interesting. It's the same thing. It's the it's literally the same thing as a desktop, which is funny. It works the same. I've tested it out. I love it. It's actually a great card. And so you've got those deals that exist on the new side. So if you don't even find a new, if you can't find a good used deal, just go get that. It's going to be absolutely amazing. 
um, AM4 at the moment, B450, B550 motherboards, Ryzen 5500, Ryzen 5600, incredible deals. Uh, 12th gen, don't overlook that. That's starting to get discounted as well. Um, mm-hmm. getting yeah, really Micro Center, ch- they're giving away a free motherboard with i7s. Mm. <laughs> so there's so another $200 off, like the RAM that's free. Don't overlook anything. Don't, like, you are going to get, if you buy AM4 5000 series CPUs, you buy a 12th gen CPU, you are going to get a great gaming experience. I can guarantee you that. Just lock in your XMP profiles. You're going to have a great time, uh, especially if you couple that with a a good used deal or an RX 6600. You can guarantee you that. It's going to be just great gaming on a majority of people. So, and what I remind people holding out for like a 7800X3D or 7950X3D, whatever, is like, keep in mind, guys, like a year after that, Zen 5 comes out. So like, you're you're waiting to build, but there will always be something great around the corner. And right now, the deals for the budget stuff is better than I've seen most year. This isn't something we see every year. Yes, man. I'm like I said, I've labeled it the golden age. Just that's my. It's not going to last forever. Once it all mm-hmm. dries up, and once uh, the inflation really kicks in, especially on the sub two hundred dollar price segment. Again, the writing's already on the wall with the GTX sixteen thirty. That's what you're going to be left with after all the dust clears. Yeah, you're just going to be left with crap. So. Get yourself something really good now. Enjoy it. Yeah, that's it. And let's see where the future goes. All right. Clean Sweep writes in and he says, Hey, Tom and Brian, my cousin is dipping his toes into rendering work, and I want to give them some recommendations for GPUs that won't break the bank, but also offer solid gaming performance if the render work doesn't pan out. What would be some good GPUs to look at in the $250 to $500 price range, new or used? And I would just point out, if he's actually a professional, there are A4000s going for $500 on eBay right now. <laughs> you send me that link. You love it, don't you? You love the, a, the A4000. It's a single-slot solution. So I mean, The link's in the description. It's, it's yeah. in the thing. I've seen that. That's that's definitely come off a miner. That's from a miner. Make no mistake. Oh, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, and you look at Nvidia's earnings, and they said their data center sales were triple what they were the previous year. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I know half of those yeah. data center cards <laughs> were doing, but yeah, a lot yeah. of that went to crypto as well. So, um, I, I'd say it's yeah, deals like that. I the my audience actually I, in the parts on I asked them if they liked the A2000. That was going. I could have picked that up for. Oh, I saw that on Twitter. And they didn't they didn't like that. They didn't they said stay away from it actually. The consensus was just get the regular gaming card. But if you want something in yeah, if you look at what the A4000 can do, I think its CUDA performance is in applications better than a 3070. So keep that in mind. I back. tested it. So the way I would describe it the A4000 is it uses 6600 energy so it uses almost no energy but it's 3060 ti performance with 16 gigabytes now if you overclock the ram you can get it to trade blows with a 3070 granted you can also overclock the 3070 10 percent, but it's basically a 3060 ti 16 gigabyte that uses half the energy that's what it wow, is. wow okay then that's a pretty good deal yeah especially if power's expensive where you are which in a lot of parts of the world it is so that'd be a solid buy um, I'm personally, I love like, these deals that I'm getting on 3060 TIs and stuff like that. I'm getting them. Uh, they're, they're cheap, man. What was the last I've one? I've seen them there? for around 310 in the mm. US used. Yeah, and the 6700 XTs, don't overlook those. They can be had for under 300, incredible buys. Um, 
And there's the, even like I picked up an RTX 3050 for a really good price, 160, it was 160-ish dollars. That was incredible. Like that's good considering they go for 300 bucks off the shelves. So if you can get anything under half or close to half price from what it's going at Newegg or Amazon, yeah, go like it's going to give you good price performance as long as the original price isn't overpriced to begin with but mm. yeah 30 90s under 700 bucks you can get them for 650 yeah. 600 bucks i got one for 800 a few months ago it and they're was- well they're a workstation machine man they're actually so underrated i think 3090 is a great card for a workstation and not just gaming so mm-hmm. they they do a lot of really good things i'm actually thinking when i upgrade my mini itx rig not using a 4000 series card because that's actually going to be a critiquing point it's these coolers are too big to fit in a mini itx rig um so i'm probably just yeah. using my 3090 and upgrading to the 13900k and some g skill um 6000 megahertz 64 gig kit so yeah there's a there's a lot of options out there and i think from 250 to $500 in the used market with graphics cards. It's just like a frenzy at the moment. Take your pick, you pick your card and just get the good deal. Yeah. Take a look at where that performance lines up in those benchmarks and then say, how much am I paying for it? Sweet. Good deal. So treble sketch writes in and he says, Brian, a fellow Aussie here. I'm wondering what do you think the differences are when it comes to selling and buying secondhand tech versus how it's done in other nations like the U S or in the European union? don't have experience too much in european us i did i did a whole tour in the us when i was over there for ces i was just decided to flip on the road like you're a soldier (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was like i did went to cali and then bought parts and then built pcs and sold them in vegas Mm. and um us was very similar to australia very similar um same sort of local marketplaces actually facebook marketplace was popping it was going off in in the us and it's the same as Australia. So the difference between the US and Australia wasn't really there. Uh, Europe, when I went there, there was different apps that people use. Sort of mm-hmm. reminds me of Japan. It's like Mailcuddy here. Uh, Mercuddy, you guys call it Mercuddy? It's just called Mailcuddy in Japanese and Yahoo Auctions. So it's a different beast. Mm. Um, definitely more competitive in Japan in terms of what people are prepared to pay for a gaming PC, especially a used one, because there's a whole used stigma in Japan that used is so bad, just go buy new. They, it comes from the housing and the cars. So mm. tech, mind you, tech is starting to really get a lot more popular here. The used tech starting to get, so people are starting to realize it's really good value. But used cars and new versus new cars in Japan, people just want to go buy a new car. They just want to go buy a new house. And the used stuff here for cars and houses is so cheap. So that's a massive huh. difference. As opposed to Australia, used house or a new house, people don't care a whole lot. They, no, they not, share not very, the US either. Mm, they share very similar pricing. And so uh, I think, yeah, for, for Australia, flipping PCs is really, it's, it's easy. It's a, very easy to do in Australia because people ultimately just look at, okay, is the PC look good? Does it, is it going to perform good? And is this seller got good feedback? And if so, all those three boxes get checked. They're coming to pick up your PC. Uh, as opposed to Japan, they'll sniff you out a bit more and they want to make sure they're really getting like they I guess they, they do a lot of more research, even for cheaper things in, in Japan than they would in the US or Australia. But in terms of EU, I'd say England. England would be similar to mm. Australia and US. That's what I found with a lot of other things too. So, yeah. 
Um, Timo H writes and he says, hi, Brian and Tom, you've both likely seen anecdotes and memes of the Chinese GPU flood being even bigger in Asia than in the U S at least me personally. I've seen pictures of street sellers selling GPUs by the roadside, like tomatoes. Could you compare how this is visible in the U S and Australia, or is it visible at all? Because I'm curious, Australia is a shorter distance to China than the U S is. And at least in Europe here, it feels like we just don't get mining flood cards like other regions do. And I, I have seen that as well. Like they see the used GPU market in Asia and at least in the U.S. and Europe. And they're like, God, I wish we got used mining cards like that. But they don't seem to. I, I don't know if you've noticed a difference there. Asia's where it's at. Asia's where it's at for competitive markets for every, like the, the government, like reason why the cards in Europe are so expensive is because government import laws. I mean, look at those taxes, right? If you want to get those cards in there, they're just, they're already expensive to begin with. So it's like the used market there is already overpriced anyhow. I, I'm oh, guessing so they might as well just sell it here because it's easier. Yeah. yeah. And so like getting those cards to Europe is so hard in the first place. And then when they get there, they're, the cards are already overpriced. Like once you, all those costs to get it in, it's already overpriced. And then people are always looking for a bargain over in Europe anyway. So as soon as they come in at that price point, they just get all snapped up, like gobbled up because the differential between new and used matters so much more in Europe. That's what I'd have to hazard a guess to. But in terms of Asia, it's just there's so many cards. They've got to offload them. They're already there. Uh, same mm. as Australia. There's heaps of cards getting offloaded at the moment. Heaps of cards. US as well. Heaps of crypto cards getting offloaded. So you can just get bargains galore. US, even Japan. I was surprised. I was really surprised when I did the recent parts hunt here. I was like, whoa, there's this many cards getting dumped in Japan because Japan's never really been pro-crypto mining Mm-hmm. But sure enough, there was guys here taking up the challenge as well. The um, the easy printing, easy money printer arbitrage crypto challenge. And so they were doing that. And there's, yeah, there was a flood of those A2000, A4000 mm-hmm. cards as well. I was like, ah, oh, so this is where they all went. Um, I wanted to pick one up and they were all sold out. So, um, yeah, that's y- something I've tried to explain too, because I see people complain about the pricing differences between countries. And I'm like, in the U.S., we add taxes after the price. So whatever you're seeing for our pricing, add 5 to 10%, depending on the U.S. state you're in. And then in Europe, they build in 20%, and then they have their import stuff. So that's mm-hmm. why your price looks higher. It's, it's because in Europe, you have a 20% tax. We have a lower one. We add it after. But if you subtracted 20% from yours and added 10% to ours, you'd see they're actually pretty close. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the used market, though. Well, I mean, to answer the question just in one word, government. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's why your price, that's why your market's completely different. Government, yeah. So, if you imagine right. if you opened up the whole country, or opened up EU to free trade, all those flooded cards would be making their way in there somehow, wouldn't they? So it'd be flood of <laughs> flood of them everywhere. Yeah. I- couldn't agree more. I don't want to get into it too much, though, because they always get mad when you point that out. Um, Melodic Warrior writes in, and he says, Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. In your time living in Japan, what can you say about the state of the local do-it-yourself and tech-tuber community? I'm currently learning Japanese, and so I figured, meh, why not interact with some of the Japanese tech-tuber space to practice? What I've thus far learned is that the interest is glowing slowly, 
but it does seem to be growing nevertheless. A lot of times they are not first, maybe second in terms of the regions that get product reviews coming out. But if you don't mind, I'd like your perspective on the topic. Thanks in advance. And I'm actually interested in this too, because I haven't looked into this until like a decade ago, but I always remember reading like desktop gaming wasn't that big in Japan and the home console market was dying relative to the mobile gaming market. Okay, so I can give you some insight here. That is, Nintendo Switch is amazing here. It's very popular. Um, console gaming in terms of Switch gaming is just huge. People love mm-hmm. their Switch here. Nintendo is really loved in Japan. It's like a, it's, yeah. It, it, I, I understand why after playing games with my boy and, and the missus, it's really fun. They just offer those family fun games and that's their focus. So Switch is doing really well. Console's not really dying if you you call switch a console, wouldn't you? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, that's the thing it's is a bit of a they managed to be both. Mm-hmm. And I think that was way overdue for Nintendo because they were splitting their software base between two different markets. I think Sony learned that with the Vita as well, but, um, having the hybrid, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would, I, I would consider it more of a mobile gaming thing. I, Yes, but that's an American perspective where I have a desktop. It does it does really well. Like a lot of people who play it on their TV, it does exactly what it's intended to do here. It works as a console mm-hmm. and a mobile gaming. It's really good, actually. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, but when we go to PC gaming, that's on the rise here. It's on the rise, and it's actually Apex Legends is a big game here. That's on. It's, it's the most popular game for PC gaming in Japan at the moment. Um, a lot of people play it here. They really like it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a good game. The mechanics of it's really good. I like Apex Legends. Um, is it my favorite game? No, but it's the top game in Japan at the moment. That's really driving PC sales is Apex Legends, and it's starting to grow. It's sort of like the PUBG effect was for PC gaming back years ago mm-hmm. uh, worldwide. Got Do you just people- don't think there's been like an online competitive PC gaming game that really took off in Japan until mm-hmm. now? Yeah, until now. And so now PC's starting to get more focus. And so with that, naturally, you'll start to see more tech tubers come along in Japanese. And because mm-hmm. um, that that is one thing that's lacked. If you look at the US, Australia, UK, we've all got tech tubers that are really passionate and do an amazing mm-hmm. job. There isn't yeah, Australians, really, you guys really punch above your population base in terms of tech tubers. There's so many of you. Yeah, there is a heap of us, isn't there? But that's, you know, the reason behind that? There's actually a reason behind that. I think I've had a, uh, you tell me what we, we used so to So we've got the highest sense. in the world. We've got the highest per capita spend on enthusiast tech out of, oh, okay. it eclipses any other country in the world. So in other words, your 16-year-old's going out and buying a 4090. Like, they, yeah. The wages are pretty good. The wages are healthy. The economy, and you're in Asia, so you're pretty close to where it's made. Yeah. And so there's a reason for that. And so everyone, every man and his dog has a um, gaming PC in Australia. It's huge. Like gaming PC gaming is huge in Australia. It's really big. Even though we've only got a population of 25 million it, per, per, per person, it's I'd say you'd be maybe even more gaming PCs in Australia than there is in Japan. Like, it's just that mm-hmm. crazy. So it's a huge, huge PC gaming country in terms of just per person. And so that's why you've got a lot of tech tubers in Australia. And the companies throw a lot of products around because they want to sell well in Australia. So if you've got an Aussie tech tuber presenting the stuff, great. And they hit the US market as well. 
So apparently we go we go pretty well in the US too in terms of popularity. We so, get along pretty well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people from the US and the so, AU, so why not, right? So yeah, that's um but in terms of Japan, yeah, the tech tube is here. It's 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 a space that I actually wanted my boy to get into because he can just use all my numbers. He's got all the content there. He just has to hit record. So I was like my little son, I wanted to start getting him into um tech tubing. So he loves Minecraft at the moment. So uh, I can definitely pass on all my knowledge and help him out and get him started. And uh, hopefully it becomes a name in Japan. So I don't know. That's one thing I was we were talking about recently. He's only 10 years old, but you know, better to start him young. So, Well, so, all right. I think I have one more reader mail question here. And, and this one is something a lot of people are asking because we look at like Zen 3 out. I mean, I, I some of the stores I talk to, at least in the U.S., um, they're like, no, like at our location, Zen 3 is outselling literally everything else combined because of how cheap it is. But overall, I'm curious how the market's doing. Brian Steiner writes in and he says, how is the current economic situation affecting your PC business? I was wondering whether the deals you're able to get or the deals of people you know who build PCs is a double-edged sword because the demand for the PCs you're building is becoming weaker due to inflation, depressions, recessions that we're going through right now. So are you seeing a drop in demand right now? I won't find out until I get back to Australia. I haven't tested the market really here. So I'll be able to find out after like a six-month hiatus how, but it was going down. Before I went here, the writing was on the wall for that. And I was telling people just literally, if you had to fire sell your stuff in January, February, earlier this year, I'll do it. That's what I did. I sold out mm-hmm. all my stuff, man. I had a, I was sitting on a great, I mean, a great stack. I was sitting on a very massive stack and that stack's just, kept me going, buying deals and accumulating. I mean, for, for starters, there's things that I pick up here that are just, y- you can't get better in price. A $10 power supply at 600 watts, that's a good Delta FSP. You're not going to, I can't even get those deals in Australia. So there's things that I'm doing here that I know I just can't lose on. Um, and so with GPUs, I actually got a heap of GPUs to bring back with me to Australia. And when I get back to Australia, I've got, I'll have, a heap of one terabyte SSDs to go with them. And so I'm going to be selling, flipping, hopefully I can get good deals on DDR4 and that's going to be my pitch. One terabyte SSD, 32 gigabytes of RAM, RGB, gaming PC. I'm going to be looking for the cheapest amount of cores and threads for the money. I mean, not bulldozer, of course, but like I'm yeah, looking- I think I yeah. saw those were $40 on- Oh. New egg or something, and I'm like, yeah, I still yeah. don't want it. Yeah, there's limitations to my flipping, but I'm going to be very competitive. I'm going to be bringing in those high spec sheet PCs, and then making my cut on it. And I reckon they're going to sell out really well. That's just my opinion, especially going into Christmas. But I will update. I will make videos dedicated to it because a lot of my audience do love that. They do love um, my thoughts and opinions on the actual flipping side of the market too. Because uh, I guess it's created a whole culture in itself and it's helped people, I guess, get, um, I guess, not just make a hobby, but yeah, make some money on the side too. Great side hustle because there's plenty of street corners where people can be that local PC hustler, you know, so there's, mm-hmm. there's all over the world. So it's a great thing. You're not really competing with too many people because um, it's more of a local thing and you can offer the best value if you're picking up the local deals. So, yeah, in terms of what I'm doing, high specs on the spec sheet, bulldoze, I'm not doing, but I just don't do that to people. It's cruel. But I'll be doing, say, X99 Xeons. They're eight core, 16 threads. They're great value. And you couple that with 32 gigs of RAM and a RTX 3060 Ti, you've suddenly got this PC that I can make a couple of hundred bucks on. And the end user is going to be getting so much better value. 
than buying a new PC for twice the price with the same mm-hmm. GPU. So maybe even, they may even get half the RAM and half the SSD space too. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And I'll be reporting on that too. So mm-hmm. in terms of what I know now though, I've had people call me and they're my friends who hustle and they're like, dude, the market's just completely dead. We need you back in okay. Australia. Well, they, they're like, we need you back in Australia to like see if you can sort of do well. And I'm like, okay, I'll, like, you know me, I'll give it a crack. I'll do my best. So, but so you would, okay. So, and that's kind of what I've heard as well is like when they do these in micro centers, free RAM sales or free motherboards with Alder Lake sales, they say it's a madhouse on the weekends. They do that. It's like they can't keep anything in stock. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're giving away RAM, man, of course. Yeah. And how you make, how much profit are you making? You're literally selling it at a cost at that stage. Like, I think they're making like 10, 20 bucks total with the thing because they get them in the door, they buy the whole PC and some of those still have some pretty big markups. But yeah. Okay. But then with Zen 3, it's like they're like, even though Zen 3 is outselling other generations, the fact that the other generations aren't selling that well, even Raptor Lake I hear is underselling Alder Lake by quite a bit from a year ago. They're like, the general cons- perception I get is that this is a bit, this is down. The market is a bit down though overall. It's a tough market, man. They got to provide that innovation now, man. So the RTX 4090 was the shining star out of all these enthusiast tech products. And that shows that people want either more or they want a cheaper price very cheap mm-hmm. price. So it's a very difficult market for Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA. So they're sort of, they're going into this. This is the thing. These guys are going into this blind just as much as all of us are. What's, what's around the corner is something we all haven't experienced. High inflation, right? No, I haven't mm-hmm. never experienced high inflation in my life, man. I was born in 85. I've never experienced high inflation. Not yeah, like no, I've seen. Yeah, so... We, Not like I've seen in the last two years. It, right? mm. We've just dodged it, right? We've just part of the generation that managed to dodge it yeah. just narrowly. And but, even uh, then, if I was happen. a kid, but even if I was a kid in the seventies, I'd like I asked my parents, "What was the high inflation like?" They said, "I can't really remember." They were teenagers, yeah. So they weren't really aware of it. So yeah, it's it's a, a lot of it's just a market that no one has experience going through. All we can do is surmise what's going to happen based on what has happened. And my guess is, yeah, buy like all I know is one thing as a dude who buys and flips PCs. All I know is one thing. I stick to this. It's my culture. Buy low, sell high. That's it. <laughs> now, price versus value. Always look at what you're paying versus what you get. And always look at that. Don't deter from that. That's why I've told my audience, be like, oh, what are you investing in? Like, what are you doing with your spare cash? It's like, well, I'm buying Japanese yen and I'm buying physical metals. And that's um, something that's going well for me so far. So, no, not a fi- not not financial advice too. But <laughs> Can't legally be. <laughs> cannot legally be financial yeah, advice. On exactly. You. So, yeah. But that's uh, people ask me any any question, I'll give them a transparent answer. I don't mind. So, I guess people want to know: Is Brian, are you on this sinking ship with us? And it's like, yeah. Like, don't worry. <laughs> well, we're all on this planet, man. Yeah. We all. <laughs> We're all dealing with a lot of markets going down at the same time. So exactly, but like, Brian, do you have some sort of like boat that stays afloat and is not sinking like the rest of us? Like, no, man, I'm on the same boat with holes in it. You know, I'm I'm just can I patch it up quicker than other people can? Well, I'm going to try. That's that's the thing, right? So we're all on these sinking ships right now, and he who patches up the the holes the fastest stays afloat. So 
That's sort of the best analogy and way to think of it. In other words, yeah, don't, don't get stuck in like a logic trap where it's like you have to find the gain. Sometimes everything's going down and your best mm. bet is the thing that's going down the least. Exactly. Yeah, that's great as well. Yep. Yep. That, don't be, um, yeah, don't be trapped in the elevator that's crash landing. Be trapped in the one that's just got a bit of problems and it's slowly dropping. <laughs> but- <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let me, uh, where can people find you though? I, unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. But we covered a tell, lot, man. My voice is going. Pe- oh, I know. I can tell. And so I've got to save you here. But um, please tell people where to find you. You'll have, there'll be a link in the description to the YouTube channel. But you know, tell people anywhere else you know, they can find you or whatever. So, yeah, it'd be on uh, mainly uh, YouTube. That's where I mainly deal. Um, also on Twitter. Twitter's just easy. Just at me if you've got a question or yeah, throw me a message on there if you want to follow us on Twitter, just Tech yes City as well as the YouTube channel. And they're the, probably the two easiest avenues to catch me on. I don't respond, like Instagram, I actually don't even check Instagram and my Facebook page, like hardly ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, yeah, I just, I sort of, I guess because of all the testing and all the videos and family life, I've really only sort of narrowed it down to just YouTube and Twitter. That's about it at the moment. So, Tech yeah. yes City. That's, That's who you are. They can find you on Twitter or YouTube under that name. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, let me do my spiel. So thanks for listening to this episode. Remember to subscribe to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel. Ring the bell button. Uh, sub, uh, subscribe to Broken Silicon on your podcast app. Give us a review. Tell your friends about us. There's a Patreon where you get this early and ad-free. You can ask us, like, Brian, questions. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead 
at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Fole, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Jeremy, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Shredbird, Brian Riglin, Dr. Forbin, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wachik, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJV1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Alev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamtrum G. Spamtrum, Donathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cox, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lavoy, HardForum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McKee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Autrini, Patrick Rowe, Amy Will Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Delmaine Peterson, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Play 08, Al Buma, Norithio, Matthew Landabasso, Stefan, Koladic, Henry Zhang, Justin N., Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Chris. Jeremy Ferriera, Mayor DeSis, Thomas Steve, Precision, DNA Tech, Nicholas Alexandra, John O'Shea, Royce Myers, Charles Russell, Reggie Ari, Slushpot, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neithra Zink, David Eastland, Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Jordan, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Windstar, Joker, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nell Lima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelvin, Austin Hagerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Leaked. Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Samuel Park, Radiant Technologies Group, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen, Angima, Mark Central, Derek Lambie, Michael, Fours and Fours, Him Sigung, Robert Davidson, Space Channel 5, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>